See, you're trying to create material to use at the end of the show, but I'm not going to give you that one. Or the beginning? No, we're going to talk about the sweet science at the beginning. The sweet science? The sweet science. What sweet science? Boxing is the sweet science. Oh, I, I had no you idea. You didn't know this? Except for the fact that it's on the cover of like issue two? <laughs> it does not say that. Let's see here. Let's verify your... the. Oh, sure, the sweet science turns sour. I had no idea it was called that. That's where, like, Sugar Ray Leonard, that's why his name is Sugar. It's it's sweet. Wow. So do you know why boxing <sighs> is called a sweet... Obviously, you probably don't, but do you know why boxing is called the sweet science? cry. Yeah, absolutely. What's that? Yeah, because, yeah, because you lose teeth, just like candy. Yeah, that's exa- it's, it's all comes from back to the tooth fairy. That is exactly right. Very good. Or, or not even a little bit, no. Um... <laughs> I actually had to do the research on it myself. Turns out it goes all the way back to the 1800s. There's this guy named Pierce Egan who wrote a book, and it was about uh, bare-knuckle boxing. Ugh. And uh, Boxiana, I guess is how you pronounce it. Anyway, uh, it was 1833, and he wrote it – over 15 years, he wrote these five books and, and articles and stuff. Anyway, he referred to boxing as the sweet science of bruising Basically, it was it was recognizing that boxers were you know were both methodical but also tough. Like they, it was a, it was a process to bruise the other person, and so it was called the sweet science wow. of bruising. And then kind of went out of favor. But then back in the 20th century, they brought the term back. How much research did you do on this? It's called the internets. About five oh, minutes okay. of worth. Oh, so that's not too bad. Here, I thought I really put you through the ring. No, no. See, and, and I tried to give us something to talk about in the front end, but you're giving me nothing back. So it's basically just me talking. You're going, uh-huh, really? And now you're thinking, I can't use this as the front. I wanted to talk about Shaggy's cat. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarian. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition. No, boy wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. <laughs> It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls.
Marcel Wente. I am your host, Stella. And this is Back with the Oracle, the Barber Boy Podcast, episode 137 for April MMXVII. Backroll to Oracle is brought to you by the Digestive Tract. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's really the Digest Cast. It's a small world after all. It's a small world. Great comics come in all shapes and sizes. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's Digest Cast, a new show dedicated to our beloved pocket-sized treasures from that bygone era of the 70s and 80s. Hosted by the Fire and Water podcast team of Robin Shag, and we'll be joined from time to time by special guests. It's Digest Cast, because big things come in small packages. Coming soon to the Fire and Water podcast network. You know what's funny about this is when I... When met when you first came on the show, five hundred years uh, ago. I'm, yeah, sure. Uh, and we didn't really know each other. And I called it the Fire and Water Cast. And you got yes. really like you bristled at this. You got upset, but now you're like too cool for school. You've got this cast. Rob's got his like Marvel Masters Works cast. No. So now you're dropping the pod. And you're just making up shows that we don't have, but that's okay. <laughs> He has something masterworks. No, no. He's got the treasury cast. Yep, that's what I'm talking about. Practically the same. You better thing. hope he doesn't listen to this episode, or you're going to get a scathing editorial from him. <laughs> oh, well, I guess I can get it. Well, he, I don't think he listens to this show. Anymore. And what, what I got on your case was because you said the fire and water cast. I'm like, no, is, is it a cast? No, is it something you do with a fishing pole? No, it is. it was a podcast. That was the official name well, of it. what has changed then? What has changed? Okay. I call Batgirl to Oracle a Barbara Gordon podcast. I don't call it Batgirl to Ork. Do I? No, I don't shorten it. I don't hyphenate it. None of that nonsense. I give you the proper oh respect. Now, Digest Cast was began from the beginning for that because it also rolls off the tongue a little bit better. But aren't you supposed to be introing your show and giving me credit and telling me I'm the sponsor? Sure. Backroll to Oracle is brought to you by the Digest No, it's Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. What? It's Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. <laughs> Can you please get it right? You just called it Backroll to Oracle. <laughs> you don't have respect for anyone, not even your own Sometimes. show. Oh, my God. Sometimes I like to shorten it. I love it. it when you squeak. It means I finally got to you. Yeah, whatever. The Batgirl, the Oracle. <laughs> no, I can't even say it. Shh. Batgirl, the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast well or cast is brought to you by the Digest cast. Batgirl, the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Backroll the Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe family of podcasts. Hashtag TBU family. Support TBU by becoming a Patreon subscriber and going to the BatmanUniverse.net. Well, I've already been insulted the top of this show multiple times, but I still I'm going to let this guy on here. So welcome back for however many times it's been. I've cleaned up the place, so he might dirty it again. <laughs> Uh, it's Shagalicious himself. 
the irredeemable Shaq. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I do appreciate the, the cleaning you've done. I mean, I can see you've got like some little lanyards up there and you, you sort of did a dusting finally. I mean, I saw Donovan before had done like a wash me, you know, over there on that window, but I can see you clean that up. It's nice. You got this, got the place fixed up nice. I try to for my special guests. Other people sort of, I just post a sign that said, don't mind the mess. And then we get get down a brass tacks. You did like lice all the chairs since Donovan sat here, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Spritz there. Spritz here. So I can't see you, but I can tell that there's something hanging on to your chest. It's, it's well, it's this own show and, and it's, it's the show where Michael Bailey and I, we called you out because you did a very villainous thing. I did not. So it, yeah. If you were, if Batgirl the Oracle were a protagonist in a novel of Stella's life, then you would be the antagonist. I, I don't know what Batgirl to Oracle is. I know what Batgirl to Oracle the Barbara Gardner <laughs> podcast is. <laughs> okay. Um, so we we called you out. Michael Bailey and I called you out. We said some things. Within, uh, I, in I, the I, first five minutes of the show, I got called out, I think, three times, by the way. Well, yeah, and, and there's a poop emoji on the image to show that yeah. there's a shout-out to you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Helping myself image. Yeah, well, it was a cute poop emoji. Does it help you that the poop emoji is my favorite emoji? Aw, see, I'm your favorite. I've always known I'm your favorite guest. I know you're totally Team Shag. Don't tell anyone about this. No one listens to this show, so they'll never know. But now is the time. You have the floor, sir, if you want to clear up any misconceptions that we may have, if you want to defend yourself and address anything that uh, Michael Bailey or I said about you or to you. Well, in the end, you both actually appreciated um, my suggesting he do Genesis because it gave you guys a chance to chat and get together. So really, I think it was more of a celebration of me is kind of how I viewed that episode. But uh, to be fair, I'd like to say that in the original conception uh, of this, when we were talking about various stuff that you were just doing a crappy job in covering on your podcast because you oh were just skipping gosh. whole swaths of material the future work on. Uh, so you're welcome for that, by the way, that I, uh. I was able to help you there. I'm pretty sure when I suggested Genesis, I told you it was terrible and that it would be funny to get Michael Bailey on rather than me doing it maliciously. Now, if you're able to find audiographic evidence, not sure if that's really a word, but uh, that I did implicate Michael Bailey and did it in a uh, misleading or uh, you know tricking way, um, then that would be awesome. And I would go back in time and give myself a pat on the back because that would be hilarious. Well, I'm pretty sure there is, as you say, audiographic evidence uh, because Chris Carnes had sent me copies of issue 34 where Asriel is, you know, appears in Genesis. So he had listened to it. I'm pretty sure it's in the bloopers where you call me out and say, I don't I don't even know you anymore because I was going to skip Genesis because they had nothing to do with, you know, Barbara Gordon as a whole. Was she in it? So um, she does appear. Then pretty sure that's part of the whole journey from back. But I could, oh, I could have just mentioned her like, yeah, she appears in this particular story, but we're not going to cover it here on BTO. You could have done that. You're right, but you're in your master list. It wasn't even listed. I know. So it sounds like it's not so much a master list as a neophyte list. Oh my heavens! Well, anyways, so yeah, I I still say that you tricked me. I like that better. I, I like your version of the truth much better than my version of the truth. So we're going to go with that. You're welcome. You're welcome, you're welcome Michael Bailey. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> what was that? Did you put your hands under your chin and pretend to be Shirley Temple? Yes, I did. I knew it. I knew it. Well, how has 
the uh, DC world been treating you since we last spoke? <sighs> had had rebirth started since we last spoke? I don't recall. Um, I think maybe we we spoke of it and spoke of titles that we had been reading. Okay, well, uh, I'm still reading Superman and uh, Action. I am right now. My current favorite title is Super Sons. I love Ooh. it so much. Yes. It's so much fun, uh, mm-hmm. at least within the Rebirth world. Uh, I, I love Aquaman still. Uh, what else am I reading? Um, I'm reading Titans. I, I, I like it a lot. I'm not a huge fan of the art, but uh, I like Titans. I, I feel like the characters aren't really as fleshed out as they should be. They're kind of all there, but it's, you know, uh, Teen Titans is a lot of fun. I, I, I freaking hate Damien. I hate Damien with like every fiber of my Aww. being, and yet I'm reading two monthly books with Damien. What is that about? I don't know. You're growing to love him. I'm I, I'm growing to hate love him. It's like a grudge hate, a grudge love. It's weird. Um, I, he's funny though. I'll give him that. So uh, I'm enjoying those now. My my you know other favorite books are outside of that. I, I'm like loving Future Quest. Future Quest mm-hmm. is incredible. I absolutely love that. I know it's not Rebirth, but it's so good. It's DC still. So, so those are just some of the ones I'm reading that are off the top of my head. I know I'm forgetting stuff. And are you still with Marvel Unlimited? I live and breathe Marvel Unlimited. Marvel Unlimited is the most awesome thing ever. Uh, I've been reading mm-hmm. some Guardians of the Galaxy, the series from the 90s, you know, like the guys in the 30th century. I've been reading some of those lately. I've read some Daredevils. Oh, my gosh. I've read so much stuff lately. Did you ever read De- uh, Deadpool Secret Wars? I have not. It, and I'm not a Deadpool fan, but it, if, if you've ever read Secret Wars, reading Deadpool Secret Wars is freaking hilarious. Uh, because it tells the story of like the it's like the 1980s uh, the, that version of Secret Wars. So the original, yeah. Okay. Deadpool was there, and he's there throughout the whole story, and he's doing the goofiest crap. And at the end, when they all have the big, I'm spoiling the ending. Sorry, guys. When they do the big wish fulfillment thing at the end, where everyone gets a wish, one of the characters wishes he isn't there that that he wasn't there, so no one remembers him being there. <laughs> oh boy! So, the extra- so it's kind of like Lion King one and a half. I guess, Where but you it, see it all that Timon and Pumbaa were there the entire time. Oh, that's right. Okay, well, it uh, it, it, it works nicely with continuity, so it's it's pretty awesome. I'm trying to open my, my list here. I, I've been reading a whole bunch of uh, Spider-Man Clone Saga too. Mm. Oh wow, there's a Clone Saga Chronicles podcast. I know there is. I know. I, I'm I'm friends with some of the people who run that. I actually have never read Secret Wars, the original one, but. The Comixology recently had a buy one get one for Marvel, so I finally got it. So I'm going to read it over spring break. So I'm excited. Are you disappointed in me? Um, no. I mean, I'm, that's kind of a constant state with our friendship. But um, but I I'm excited that you're going to get to read it. I'm interested to hear your feedback, and you got to read it through the eyes of a 1980s 12 year old boy is what you're going to have to. Which cool. I think you do most things, but uh, you're you're going to have to read those eyes. So. Okay. Don't, don't don't try and read it with the, the eyes of a 2017, uh, you know, neo feminist because you're not going to come out of that in a happy way at all. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. You know, speaking of female-led books that are good, are you reading uh, the new Captain Marvel series on the Marvel Limited app with uh with yeah. Alpha Flight? Uh, yes. I'm, yep. I'm digging that. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm somewhat disappointed. Just she's been in space for so long yeah. that I kind of want her to come back to Earth. That's my only disappointment. But otherwise, I'm yeah, I am very much enjoying reading uh, Carol Danvers. Yes. 
Always liked her. Did, you, did we discuss? We discussed the Brian Reed stuff, didn't we? We did. Yeah. You uh, talked a lot about it. You also mentioned the cheesecake, which I think that was your number one driving factor for talking about it. No, it was um, not. Uh huh. Sure. And then actually, I can't remember. It was sometime. It might have been like spring last year, or maybe it was Christmas or something last year. I think it was like another buy one get one, and I got all of them, and and I read all those trades uh, on Comicsology. So I have now read the entire Ms. Marvel run with Brian Reed, which I absolutely loved. I thought it was great. And you know, that's a that's a that, I'm really glad to hear that because that's a really big compliment. Being that it was a guy writing it, I mean, that had to be a difficult chore to get you know the pitch just right and everything, and get the, mm-hmm. and I'm. I'm thrilled. And so it's interesting because that goes back to like, what, 2005 almost. So that means Carol Danvers has been back in prominence for like over 10 years now. Mm-hmm. So they better not screw up the movie. They better. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Like that's the one that far off into the future, the one that I'm most looking forward to. So, so are you excited about Guardians of the Galaxy 2? I am excited about Guardians of the Galaxy too. I think I really love the first one, just lots of fun. Uh, and the music, of course. I think uh, there are a few, I mean, I think a lot of the movies in the 80s and things were like this, but I think few movies nowadays, the music is such an integral part with the actual movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, ba- you know, Baby Groot, of course. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to Wonder Woman. Yes. Super about that. I was going to ask you about that. Um, what do you think of the new Justice yes. League trailer? I'm fine with it. I, I think I, I know that. Well, I don't actually listen to critics anymore. I sort of stay away from all that stuff. But you know, the first trailer that I had seen, I guess that they released the teaser where you just see Bruce like finding different people. Mm-hmm. I could already tell that it, it felt very different than Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Like I, I felt like it uh, was a lighter in tone. You know, there were more jokes, and it just seemed overall like maybe they're going to take what they learned from Batman versus Superman, take those mistakes, and then and help create something better. I love that Wonder Woman and Batman are kind of the two leaders, mm-hmm. it seems, because mm-hmm. it seems like they're the ones that are creating this team. So I, I'm, I'm going to keep optimistic on it, and I'm, I'm hopeful that it will be well-received and that it'll do a good job. I, I'm very excited about the trailer. I, a lot of it I enjoyed. I do have some reservations on Aquaman because I'm, I'm a big Aquaman guy. I'm like a mm-hmm. really big fan of Aquaman. And I think Momoa looks awesome. I think his actions look incredible. He's totally just a, a, an amazing presence on the screen. But then like when he says the things like, I dig it. Mm-hmm. And then when he leaps off the Batmobile and he's like, yeah, and I'm just like, oh, uh, not Shakespearean dialogue. No. Yeah. So more of a hip guy rather. Yeah. Than, if he yelled, yeah. if he yelled outrageous, I might get more on board with it. But uh, okay. I, I, I don't know if you get that reference or not. I do. Oh. Batman Brave and the Bold. Very good. Excellent. You're back in my good graces. John D. Maggio, right? Wow. Well played. Ooh. Well played. So you know, I, t- I I tweeted to him uh, when <gasps> when we did Michael Bailey's uh, views from the Long Box Total Justice episode. Yes, and I thought the voice of Aquaman and that sounded like him. So I actually asked him if he was doing if he did that as early as way back then, and he said no. But it was nice enough to respond. Yes, it was. Yeah. What do you think about Have you uh, Spider Man Homecoming? That trailer just released. I haven't seen the new one. I, oh. I heard it just came out, and like I want to yeah. see it. Um, some people yeah. are saying it spoils the whole movie, but I don't care. The first trailer looked amazing. <laughs> I love that kid, yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, wait. There was another one we had to talk about. Logan. Have you seen Logan? Oh, my. I have seen Logan. I thought it was amazing. How many times did you cry? 
Oh, definitely at the end end and probably the last quarter too. So basically the two like major <laughs> deaths I teared up. Okay. But you know, especially at the end uh with with Logan, that was a that was a big thing. I probably teared up three different times in the movie. Oh my gosh. Okay. And that's saying a lot because my mood my my mood was ruined going into the film because I was listening to oh. your Genesis coverage uh, oh, right before no. the lights went down. So I'm yeah, just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. No, I think, you know, what a better – there really was no better way, I think, to send that character out who's been, you know, with us since the beginning. Spoilers! No, I mean because he's not going to be doing any more movies. Okay. That's what I meant. And I have a special – I really like X-23. Uh, her origin was – well, it stayed more or less close to the origin, but it, it was shifted a little bit because she wasn't Hispanic in the um, – as created by uh, Craig Kyle, I think, and Christopher Yost. Uh, but otherwise, uh, I yeah, I, I really loved that movie. Well, is she Hispanic or she just speaks Spanish? Well, I guess, yeah, you could you could debate that potentially. Yeah. Yeah, she was phenomenal. That little kid, she was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. amazing. That movie was just wow. I mean, just, what I would love to do is some at some point sit down and watch like X Men Two, which in my opinion is the mm-hmm. best of those films, and watch like X Men Two followed by Logan, just because to see where they started with these characters yeah. and where they end. Because like you know, Logan is not a superhero. It, it is a film. It is a draw, an action drama film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That just so happens to feature characters that started in a superhero franchise. Is really what it is. Wow. Do you? Uh, I, I noticed when it was released that you know how IMDb. I, I really love IMDb for whatever. Maybe perhaps too much, but they do list sometimes, and so they did a list of all the the films that Hugh Jackman had been in as Wolverine, and uh, from the worst. I guess, or the lowest ranked mm-hmm. to the highest. Mm-hmm. And so the lowest was Origins, which I think we can agree that that was pretty, it wasn't good. It's um, a bit of a toss-up, honestly, between Origins and uh, the Apocalypse one that just came out. Okay. Well, I'm glad you said that because the next one, the second to last one, was The Wolverine. And I actually what? really liked that one. I, I I know a lot of people complained about the ending, how it turned into just a, into a battle, but I think it's just Wolverine. What do you expect? You know, um, and no. it was so similar to um, the actual graphic, not well, the story that it was based off of. I enjoyed the Wolverine quite a bit, actually. Yeah, I did as well. Because I mean, th- we haven't really tackled his like Japanese yeah. side as much. Um, so I, I yeah, I, I was just surprised that they put it so low. I dug that one. So where did they rank uh, first class? Because he had a cameo. Um, yes. Yeah, I think the first class and the other one they put near the – oh, what was it? Days of Future Past near the top. But I can't remember specifically where they put okay. where they put it. I mean, first, yeah, I think I, it was near the top. I don't know that you can actually count first class as one of his films. But I, I do yeah. think of the uh, X-Men movies, for like X2 and, and first class were probably the best of the X-Men movies. Yeah. That's my opinion. How does Logan like wrap up the continuity? Because remember that Days of Future Past sort of reset with, yeah. X- but how does Logan and all of that stuff? How does that? It depends if they're going to do more films going forward. You know, like it, it, are they going to do an X twenty three movie, which might be logical. I don't know. It'd be kind of hard for a kid to carry the film, or are they just going to do more? x-men stories about you know the the first class kids or whatever or the future past kids or whatever it's i mean it's it they they did give it a definitive year 
which was surprising. Mm-hmm. I figured they would just say the future because that yeah. way it could be at any time. It's it's going to be relevant up until they don't care anymore and they'll contradict it and move on. I mean, it's just the way yeah, it is with any good sure. fiction. So, yeah. I mean, Dark Knight Returns yeah. is supposed to take place in like what the the 90s probably uh, or the oh, 2000s, yeah. I would think, or something. Like that. Right. Yeah. Do you think Professor X killed all the X Men by accident? Yes. Hmm. Yeah, I was wondering about. I that. think that's what happened in Westchester. Yeah. You think even Jean? Um, if she's still alive at that point, I mean, yeah. yeah. See, I see that was definitely the impression you got was yeah. when he when he remembers what he did and it happened in Westchester. Uh, mm-hmm. That seems to be the most likely thing. And do you think that second clone was kind of like his son? What's his name? It was like did De- De- it's not Daxon. What is his name? Oh, uh, not Craven. Uh, Draven or something like that? It's like something, yeah. yeah. Do you no. think that's what they were trying to model? No? No, I think they were trying to model Dolly. Uh, I think it's the name. Oh, that, okay. Wasn't it? Um, I could be having my name wrong because I, I, I didn't read the Wolverine ongoing very much. Um, it didn't grab me. But I remember mm-hmm. back in the day, there was these two characters that would always show up and they were like kind of robotic-ish. And one was a little girl and one was wolverine like he looked like in the weapon x thing like where he's in the tank with a helmet and stuff like that oh yeah and they yep. would, and he was a, a robot and i can't remember if dolly was the girl or him whichever and sometimes they were adversaries sometimes they weren't but i think that's more what they were going for because he, okay. he was basically a wolverine robot is kind of what he was that is true yeah yeah yep. final question mm-hmm. do you like aliens um, like I, Sigourney Weaver alien. I like the first one. I like the second. Uh-huh. I like the second uh-huh. one. Uh, yes. I like the second one quite a bit. Yes. The third one has some moments. Uh, fourth one is completely immemorable. Then okay. you jump forward to AVP. Oh yeah. I, well, I understand they're terrible films. I mean, there's, there's no denying that. But I enjoy them just because they're stupid big fights. Uh, you, okay. you, you you have to completely turn your brain off. But they're fun. Yeah. They're fun from that regard. Then when you start getting into the the other stuff, the was it Prometheum? Is that what it was? Prometheus. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, I can tell by your excitement. You're about to get really excited about it. But sorry, I, uh, even Magneto couldn't save that no. film. That movie was so boring. So no. And they made some stupid decisions in that movie. The giant wheel is spinning right at us. Let's keep running directly in the path of the giant wheel instead of veering left or right, completely out of the way of the giant wheel spaceship. You know the scene I'm talking about. Yeah. It's in every trailer. All you got to do is go, go left, go right, you survive. You stay on the path you're on, it's going to crush you. I didn't care for it In the moment, they get confused. Well, gee golly. Well, let me say I really liked number one. Number two, I think, was probably... My favorite, yeah. the aliens. Three, the prison thing. I didn't really like it as much. Okay. And four, I mean, when you had Sigourney Weaver making out with an alien, it just, no. Yeah. But I watched it for completion or completest value. Uh, I actually recently watched all the Predator films. I had never seen any of the Predator Oh, yeah, I saw you posting about that on Facebook. I'm so sorry you had to yes. do that. Well, I have actually enjoyed getting to know the Predators a little bit. And then I did watch AVP, which I actually enjoyed. I thought it was pretty good. And then I watched the Requiem one, which was actually pretty disturbing. But one of my friends was saying that it was the best comedic film that came out that year. And I was like, what are you talking <laughs> best about? Best comedic? That's funny. <laughs> I know. But I had seen Prometheus when it came out, and I enjoyed it. I would agree that it's a little slower. It's more like philosophy-based, I think, than action. But I think that the uh, incubator scene, or the you know the health the I don't know what you would call that the little tank when she has to do her self C section that was an intense scene and I was nervous 
the entire time. And then she pulls it out. You remember what scene I'm talking about? I really don't, honestly. The film. You really don't? I don't. The, mil- the film just doesn't Oh my gosh, it's like stay. carved into my memory. She, she cut they herself open and pulled have... out an alien? Well, yeah, because Ugh. it was basically like a, well, it wasn't a, um, well, it was a chest burster, but it wasn't really a chest burster. Okay. Because uh, it went in a different direction. And uh, so basically she was pregnant, quote unquote. And so she had to go into this tank to get it removed, but they had no like female medical thing. So she had to do like uh, some sort of foreign object inside. And so it's like cutting her It pulls it out. And then all of a sudden it wakes up and now she's trapped in this tank with this thing. It's insane. Yes. It's crazy. I do remember that. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. So do you take back what you say? No, I mean, there was, there was some, there was some. That's right, because the, the, the had to surgically open her stomach. Yeah, okay, I remember yep, all that now. Yep, um, yep. I mean, there were some parts of the film that were really enjoyable, but it just in general, like I prequels are usually unnecessary, and this one yeah. felt really unnecessary to me. Like, well, all this leads up to me asking: Are you excited for? Or do you think you will see Alien Covenant? If it's on Netflix and I absolutely oh. have nothing else to do, if I don't have any Hacker Files comics to read, <laughs> maybe I might. Hacker Files. There's only one show you would read Hacker Files on. I did it. For. I did it for you. Look at that. Yeah. I must care. Well, I'm excited for The Covenant. So I guess I'll tell you after I see it whether you should spend some dollar. Absolutely. You should write me an extensive, lengthy synopsis of the film along with your commentary and impressions and email that directly to my inbox. You wouldn't even listen. No, I've already, I've um, already written a rule to just turn all your emails to the trash, so it's fine. I knew it's it. It's not a worry. I knew it. Um, would you take my word if I said I, I thought it was really good? Would you go see it or would you still wait until Netflix? You do forget one thing. Well, you're young and spry and have, having the time of your life. I'm old and have children. <laughs> well, I guess th- those are all our movie our movie conversations, I think. If I tell you Gardens of the Galaxy is really good, will you go see it upon my recommendation? Well, you, well I'll probably go see it without your recommendation. See, it's that good already. I've done my job. I mean, I would trust you if you told me to go see something, unless it was like something really scandalous, like Fifty Shades. Nah, that's not really my bag. You know, Porky's maybe. Gosh. <laughs> or maybe Porky's too. Anyway, so you know, in August there's going to be a Rift Tracks Doctor Who event. I, I could recommend you go see that. What is Doctor Who? Oh. <laughs> you know, there's sometimes where I just think you're like brilliant and smart and funny and yeah. charming, and then there's other times there where I just times. then I remember you're like a 15 year old dork. So that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, friends, I've invited Shagalicious on here for a particular reason. Because I'm charming and handsome. That's why. Sure. Um, the other reason is, if you don't accept that one, is because we're going to cover a three-issue miniseries called Batman Wildcat. Woo-hoo. And if you've never heard of that, that's okay because neither did I. But, <laughs> as with the majority of things I've been reading nowadays, but... Chuck Dixon is, you know, on the cover there. Or not on the cover, but his name's on the cover. So, hey, you got to trust in Chuck. Dude, so, hold on a minute. It's not just Chuck Dixon. This is yes, a book is. that is yeah. co-written by, strap in folks, Chuck Dixon and Bo Smith, the manliest man in comics. So this, you know, when you see that, you're like, oh my gosh, mind-blowing. This is going to be the manliest awesome comic ever. I, I can't wait. To see what, yeah, yeah. What if I told you I didn't even read it, and I'm just going to go off of your synopsis and like come up with comments? I, I believe it totally. That seems to be how you do most of the stuff we do together. 
It is true. I mean, people don't really know if I'm uh, BSing them or not. So, But they would keep tuning in, so those suckers. I hear you trashing the Batgirl comic every month, and so I figure you're just, you know, <laughs> phoning it I in. I try so hard to come up with positive things. You're like, don't put that on you're me. You're reading, like, the IGN review, and you're just basing your decisions on that without even having to read the comic. I am not doing that. <laughs> I do actually read it. Well, do you want to give us a, uh, a, a, a recap on Batman Wildcat, and then we can talk about it? Absolutely. I'm happy to do it, Stella. Now, uh, unlike other recaps we've done where we kind of go issue to issue, <sighs> folks... Now, this this is a great comic, but it's not a deep comic. So I'm just going to do a one big synopsis for the whole thing. But this is Batman Wildcat, a three-issue miniseries, again, written by Chuck Dixon and Bo Smith, art by Sergio Cariello, or Cariello. Well, I was trying to do the, the double L thing. Yeah, anyway, I got yeah. Inks by Art Tiber, Danny Mickey, and uh, Jaime Menendez. Uh, or Mendoza, sorry, uh, colorist Jason Wright. Now, it was on sale between February and April 1987, and 1987 is one of my favorite years in comics, by the way. <gasps> now, 1987 is my absolute favorite year of DC Comics. 1997, is what I was trying to say, is uh, one of my favorite years also. There is some great stuff that happened in 96 and 97 in DC Comics that are just so 90s they're just so purely 90s that i just love them i mean there's i was about 10 years old i get that's true but i mean 96 you're gonna get kyle rayner you're gonna get wally west you're gonna get you know angry hook-handed aquaman you're gonna get tim drake you're gonna have you know uh superman with long hair i mean just (gasps) awesome stuff electric superman in 97 oh yeah (laughs) so all right uh cover no well you know i'll talk about the covers later we'll just get into the synopsis here The story opens with Killer Croc in a battle versus Wildcat, and they're in a literal cage match. The brawl is being broadcast and recorded via numerous video cameras. Killer Croc viciously murders Wildcat. Yeah, that's right. He murders Wildcat. And then we're led to believe off-panel that Croc actually eats the corpse. Gross! Turns out that the Wildcat combatant wasn't the real deal. He was a student of Ted Knight, who is, uh, of course, Ted Knight is the former heavy, uh, heavyweight boxing champion and the real Wildcat. Now, independent of each other, both Ted Knight and Bruce Wayne become aware of this secret fighting club and the videotape distribution of the fights. Both Batman and Wildcat are on the trail trying to find the location of these fights. And uh, the man behind the fights is this massive guy. He's a big brawler named Ernie Chubb. Horrible name. Anyway, he uh, he has employed the, the supervillain Lockup to design these special cages to hold numerous superpowered villains until they're needed for his special fight clubs. So anyway, so Batman and, and Wildcat are trying to find this place. Meanwhile, the next bout happens. It's KG Beast versus Willis Danko. Wildcat continues to search for the arena, and when he successfully finds it, unfortunately, he is knocked out. He's captured. Uh, Oracle, in the meantime, yep, that's right, back old Oracle, Barbara Gordon podcast. Oracle um, plans to steal the satellite uplink feed that's broadcasting the fights so that Batman can find where they were happening. Now, after the location is found, Oracle cuts the feed. And the customers watching the pay-per-view lose their picture, and Eddie Chubb is worried about losing his profits. KGB, during the battle, kills Danko, and Batman is also captured. And as the second issue ends, we find out the next fight scheduled is a match between the blindfolded Batman and the blindfolded Wildcat. Woo! Batman and Wildcat begin fighting each other unknowingly. They don't know that they're fighting each other. They just know that they have to fight to survive. Each uh, are wearing these brutal spiked gloves, and Oracle... Again, Barbara, woo She logs in and, and pulls the feed again, 
so they're not broadcasting, Batman and Wildcat each realize who their opponent is, and they work together to escape. Uh, the boss of this whole secret fight club I mentioned, Ernie Chubb, he releases all of his captured criminals to combat Batman and Wildcat, and these include Steel Jacket, King Snake, Monsoon, Trog, Cassidy, Panera, uh, KG Beast, and Killer Croc. And uh, Wildcat ends up defeating Killer Croc while Batman fights the rest of them, and in the end, Wildcat steps into the ring with Ernie Chubb and defeats Mr. Chubb. The story ends with Wildcat thinking about getting back into the superhero game on a regular basis. And that's Batman Wildcat. Woo! Woo! Thank you for recapping. No problem. I, sh- I should talk about the covers real quick. The first cover features Tony Dan as art by Tony Daniel and Art T Bear, and it's Wildcat versus Killer Croc with sort of this like symbolic vis- vision of Batman lurking, watching them overhead. And I think that's my favorite cover of the three. Uh, cover number two is by Art T Bear and Jamie Mendoza or Jaime Mendoza, and it's Batman versus Ernie Chubb. And it's sort of there's like a symbolic version of Wildcat kind of in action above them. And then the third cover is by Archie Baron and Danny Mickey. And it's Batman versus Wildcat in this brawl with these spiked gloves. And then floating above them is like a symbolic vision of like the exact same thing. It's kind of weird. It's there twice. Whatever. So anyway, we, you, you were going to say your feelings on the, on the comic. Oh, well, I, I had a question. But actually, to go to the covers, I actually really love covers as well. I think they're a lot of fun. Uh, I think very much they capture, especially the last one, what you would see. At an actual like fighting bout and and uh, advertising and things you would see on pay per view or HBO or something like that. And I also the third one doesn't do this, but I love how there are catchphrases for oh, each yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. So like the first one is like the paper pain uh, <laughs> event of the year. The second one is uh, the sweet science turns sour. Yeah, the sweet science. Uh, You've heard of that. I, I have at the top of the hour. <laughs> I have heard of I have heard of this. It's related to the teeth, and um, that you sort of lose it, and not because of cavities, but because people punch in them out. Um, so yes, I do now know what the sweet science means. So yeah, I think I think they're great. I really enjoy those. Well, I have a big question. Yes, it really guides I think the rest of this discussion. Did KGB's tinkle himself after getting shocked during issue two? Uh, I mean. It's just- I have to look up the panel, but it seems like it's a safe bet. <laughs> I think uh, I think your body sort of loses control when you get shocked. So, uh, yeah. I mean, is there, there a wet a, spot or well, something? There's a puddle by him and Danko, and so I. Wonder. Okay, well that does kind of happen when you get electrocuted. Yeah, unless it's a shadow. Do you think it could be a shadow? Are you on page three of okay. issue two? That is completely a shadow, you terrible human being. <laughs> then Ernie Chubb peed himself too, no. then. No, he's just standing in the tingle. I think that's supposed to be okay. his shadow. Well, we'll go with the whatever you think. Listeners, you can choose. <laughs> no, I, I... So this is... Now, nothing can really reach the height of success and a wonderment and excitement that Genesis was. Um, sure. But I actually really liked this story. I wasn't sure uh, what I was getting myself into because you know I like Batman. I actually really like Wildcat. I think that Ted is an attractive man, however old he might be. Whoa! Uh, I'll put the cards on the table. <laughs> Stella and Ted sitting in a tree. Uh, so I was, you know, wondering what's this going to be like. You know, is this going to be one of these? It seems like a good idea, but it's not well executed. But I think it actually is well executed. You're right that it's not a deep story, but I just think it's a lot of fun. I think one of the reasons why I might like it a lot is also because 
one of my favorite episodes from Justice League Unlimited is the Cat and the Canary, where Roulette is having those metahuman brawls, and you have Black Canary oh, yeah. and and Ted is here, uh, and so that's one of my favorite ones. So I think maybe there's there's a bit of that going on because you have like metahumans and Batman and Wildcat. But you no, know, I I thought it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this story. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Roulette because that's actually one of my notes is that this is actually a few years before the JSA comic introduces Roulette. So this predates her metahuman brawl scenario. Now, I'm sure this isn't the first time in comic history someone gathered a bunch of right. superpowered people against their mm-hmm. will to fight. I'm sure that happened you know, as far back as the 50s probably. But uh, this, was the, this sticks in my mind and, and it does feel very Roulette-esque. You know, the way they're doing the pay-per-view and all that. So, yeah, I love that episode, by the way. The grudge match one with Cat and Canary. Oh, oh yeah. so good. Is Now, is that the one where it's all the girl fights, like Glamour Slam, or is that the I second one? I think grudge match is the, all the girl fights. But I think Cat and the Canary is where they're, like, both undercover or, well, quote-unquote okay. undercover. Right. I believe so, but it's been a little while since I've seen them. They're both great episodes. They really are. So, lots of, I mean, you know, like you said, it's, it's not a deep story. However, and it could have gone two different ways. I mean, sometimes when you have a fight comic, it's really bad, especially in the 90s. You're running a huge risk here, folks. Uh, And I think if you look at something even from the 2000s, like Countdown Arena, I don't know if you read that or not, but that, that was a fight book. And while there's some redeeming qualities because there's some interesting matchups and things like that, it's not very good. And whereas this, again, could have been really dumb, three issues of, of superheroes fighting and villains, whatever. But it's, it's because of Chuck Dixon and Bo Smith know their way around a story. They know how to construct a proper story. They know how to make the characters interesting. And they know how to, they know how to tell action. None of these fights are boring. Mm-hmm. And none of these are like, oh, punchy, punch, punchy, punch. It's like, whoa, whoa, oh my god, he did that, oh my god. You know, it's really exciting. And I think that the writers, there are some questions that I think would obviously be asked but it seems like the writers went into it already knowing what questions people would ask and and sort of had an answer for that like how i think the the metahumans or just the the different villains had been captured mm-hmm. uh how they were kept in their cages yeah lock up um yeah, yeah. so I, I just felt like three issues was enough there was no filler I thought it was smart in all aspects and, and really prevented holes and questions. So, I yeah, I thought it was well done for a fighting issue. Now, have you ever read anything by Bo Smith before? I, ha- I, I mean, I may have, but I am not aware of it. Well, he, he didn't do a lot of mainstream stuff, but he started to do mainstream stuff for DC around this time. The book he's probably best known for is Guy Gardner Warrior, which mm. I know how much you love that character. Yeah, I don't like him. Well, hold on. But there is an era <laughs> of the Guy Gardner comic that everyone agrees are the good issues of Guy Gardner, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and that is Guy Gardner Warrior. And that's when he – even though he had that ridiculous – He's got the, the war paint and he's a, he owns a bar. Yeah, even though the, the war paint – Really, when you get down to it, it's sort of ridiculous. The characterization in those issues is fantastic. The bar is fantastic. The cast he surrounds – in fact, Wildcat becomes a regular uh, at at the bar hanging out with them. I mean it's really a wonderful uh, thing that Bo Smith created there. It's great. And hopefully – I don't know. Does does Oracle end up in any of those Guy Gardner issues? I don't recall seeing it on my master list or as you call it, the neophyte list. Maybe you should check a proper list and see if she shows up because it would be worth reading an issue or two of that by Bo Smith. Okay. So, like, like I'll give you something in here as I was reading this really struck me as a Bo Smith bit. Now, it could have been a Chuck Dixon bit, but it seemed as a Bo – like when Wildcat interrogates that one guy 
Uh, what he does is he puts this guy on the front fender of his motorcycle, mm-hmm. ties the guy's hands to the handlebar and the feet to, around the, the base of the motorcycle, and basically drives and lets the motion of the motorcycle bouncing up and down smash the fender into the guy's private parts. It is funny and horrible and even more funny as it goes on, and it really it, – that is totally a Bo Smith kind of thing to do. And uh, I just I, – I love his, his – the way he does – I mean – I don't know. I, I'm, I'm circling around this. I guess basically what I'm trying to say is this is brawling and savagery at his 90s best. You know, there's 90s bad and there's 90s good and this is 90s good. I didn't know that's what was happening with the motorcycle. I thought he was just like threatening to crush him in some garbage. Oh, that, I'm sure that was part of it too. But I just – that's what went through my mind when I saw the guy sitting on the fender. And you know how motorcycles bounce up and down, especially if you're going I through do. a trash heap. So, yeah. Um. Okay. Yep. Yikes. I'll never look at that ag- the same way again. <laughs> I do have a question about that because at the beginning, Ted is meeting with Flea, but then why is he looking for him at the end? And it even says that he had no luck finding him. So I'm very confused why, I mean, he was sitting with him in a diner talking to Flea, and then all of a sudden he starts beating people up looking for Flea. Did that catch you? At first it did. Then I went back okay. and flipped back a few pages. Because okay. at first I was confused about that as well. But if you go back and look at it, when Flea gives him the tape, uh, he doesn't know what he's getting into. Flea just says, you know, it's, it's a fighting group. You're going to love it. You know, oh, you're the champ. You're the best. So Flea gives him the tape. It's not until after he watches the tape and sees his sort of, you know, protege get murdered. That's when he wants to go find Flea and he can't find him anymore. So that's why he gets intensely searching for Lee because that's Flea because that's the only lead he has. So that's that. Once I went back and looked at it, that's how I read that. Yeah. So what did you think of the art? The art? I think I enjoyed it. I, I felt like it was... What I had been seeing with um, like maybe some Nightwing or Robin things that I had been reading around the time. Around yeah, the I, th- I think that's about fair. I was just going to say it was fine. It was serviceable, serviceable. It was enjoyable. It was it was 90s, certainly, without being too over the top. You know, it wasn't like too mm-hmm. crazy 90-ish, but it's like, yeah, okay, it, it works. It's fine. So I just didn't know as, as someone that comes from a different mm-hmm. era if you'd be like, oh, I can't stand this artwork. So, okay, good. Mm-mm. No, there's few. I mean, there are some people that, yeah, I, I can't. Like, I feel like it looks really ugly. But uh, in this case, I think it looks fine. Uh, Barbara has the shorter yes. hair in this one. Professor and Alan and I always point that out because it fluctuates. Sometimes it's long, sometimes it's short. And we see her working out, at least in issue one and everything. Did you think it was a little ridiculous that Lockup was thinking he could probably put a stop to Oracle? That he well, could trace when her? they... Kind of, he kind of didn't give him a choice. I mean, he wasn't going to. He kind of said, oh, I don't know. And then he, the guy threatened his like future livelihood, and that's when Lockup just jumped in there. Now, he probably didn't know he was up against Oracle, though. You know, he just thought he, he thought he was probably mm, up true. against just some kid hacker or something. He probably didn't realize, you know, mm-hmm. in theory, the bad guys aren't supposed to know who Oracle is anyway. Mm, I, I yeah. think the most important thing to take away from this episode, though, uh, of Barbara is her actually saying not – in a very 90s sort of way. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't remember the 90s very clearly, that was a that was a huge catchphrase. Uh, where she she says something to the effect of like we're ter- we apologize for the technical difficulties, not. <laughs> that cracked me up. Yeah, like slight or yeah, whatever. Like how Batman and Wildcat like if you think about it, there are really two different stories going on here, and then they finally merge at the end. So they're both looking for the same thing, and they come about it in completely different ways, which I thought yeah. was a lot of fun. 
where, you know, Batman uses Oracle and sort of tech and, and traces everything, and then Wildcat's beating people up, and they both arrive. Well, and I'm glad they did it that way, because I've, I've – and Bailey brought this up on a, a recent show. It might have been your show. I'm not sure, but I, I've always – postulated that Batman is not the world's greatest fighter. People talk about his fighting skill all the time, but he's not. He's the world's greatest detective. By having Batman get to the arena through detective work, now admittedly a lot of the people doing the work for him, but uh, through his through detective work getting there and Wildcat getting there through his fists, I like that. That's the right way to tell that story. You know, that shows Chuck Dixon and Bo Smith's cleverness of how these characters work. I do like that they touch on somewhere in there. It may have just been in the profile pages in the back, but did, did you know that you know Wildcat trained Batman? I might have known at some point, but now okay. I'm remembering now that. You well, that, that was Bruce Wayne's yeah. shtick. Was when he was training to be Batman, he traveled mm-hmm. all over the place and learned from all these different people. And yeah, right. Ted Grant was some mm-hmm. one of the one of the ones he went and trained with. Yeah, which makes sense because when they were fighting, he was able to figure out who Wildcat was just from his fighting style and not because he was blindfolded. And by the way, for those of you who are already writing letters uh, into Stella's show to complain, yes, I realize now I have been saying Ted Knight all night long instead of Ted Grant. I cannot believe Uh that. I'm horribly embarrassed. I've had Ted Knight on the brain. Whether you choose to say Starman or Too Close for Comfort, either Ted Knight works. But yes, I actually meant Ted Grant. I am terribly sorry. I'm horribly embarrassed. I'm a huge, huge JSA fan, and I can't believe I mixed that up. Well, I think I added to it when I said that Ted Knight was a. Well, have you seen Too Close for Comfort? So, or uh, Mary Tyler Moore show? So he is. He's a handsome man. So oh, now yeah. I also I like I like this era of Batman. This is the era shortly after Nightfall, where Batman's still wearing all black. You know, like on the on the cover, mm-hmm. he's wearing gray and blue, but that is not what he's wearing inside. Inside, it's the all black outfit. The only color is basically the his eye slits, the the yellow shield on his chest, and the uh, the belt. That's it. Everything else is black. Like a Robin, you know, Ted, uh, Tim Dick is featured in this one. I like that. And at one point, he wants to go with Batman, and they said, no, sorry, you, they don't need your pugilistic talents. They need your detective work, Tim, which is also a great usage of Tim. And of course, just Chuck, Chuck Dixon knows mm-hmm. what he's doing with Tim, clearly. And so uh, that made me happy to see that all used properly. Well, I, felt, I was a little disappointed with Tim at the end, though, because he went off to say that he was going to help Batman, but then it just, like... He went away, and he doesn't appear yeah, at the end. Yeah, I, I like to think that he was trying to do some detective work, like maybe helping Oracle, but Oracle just beat him to mm-hmm. it. You know, so that, that's kind of okay. how I read that. They, they needed him out of the way because, and they even said it like, as far as you know, Batman is very complimentary of Tim's martial arts style, but this fight doesn't necessarily need martial arts; it needs attitude, is what they were saying, which was a, it was a nice mm-hmm. turn of phrase in there. I, I like that. There's also a funny bit I like where Alfred uh, is giving Batman a, a mug of coffee, a travel mug, and uh, Batman asks if it's caffeinated, you know, and Alfred says, how long have I worked for you, sir, or something like that. But the bit that I find funny is the mug, of course, has the Bat logo on the coffee mug. You know, it's the mm-hmm, Bat mug. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Bruce Wayne is all about the branding, so. <laughs> he Well, if you've seen Wayne yes, Batman. exactly. That movie is glorious. Pew, pew. Now, you don't have an iPhone, do you? I know. I remember because our phone's mated. I'm still getting that. It's still undergoing some inoculation for whatever Thanks for that. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, if you have an iPhone, ask you. Just call your iPhone. Instead of calling it Siri, say, hey, pewter. And uh, it turns into the pewter from back computer and talks to you. It's wonderful. Yeah. Pew, pew. (laughs) I like that at the end, Wildcat's talking about bringing young, si- young sidekicks into the world of mm-hmm. vigilantism. 
But I'm surprised that Batman doesn't reflect on Jason, since that's clearly a similarity between the two, because he lost somebody just like yeah, Wildcat yeah. did. Yeah, because it, it is – and I don't know whether that's just Batman acknowledging it's been so many years that he's doing the best he can with Tim and maybe feels it's his responsibility mm-hmm. to watch over the younger generation because it does seem to be what Batman does. He, No matter how much of a loner and you know, Batman's, you know, my parents are dead, all that stuff, he does continue to surround himself with people. Uh, so maybe that's you know maybe he's not over what happened to Jason, but he's you know acknowledged that that it's his obligation to help people. And it's not too long after this that uh, the JSA book starts, and Ted and Ted uh, oh. Grant gets to be a core member of the JSA book. That's exciting. It was it was a great book. Did you enjoy the Who's Who? Uh, yes, I thought they were the wonderful. End? You know I love the Who's Who stuff. I'm a sucker for them. So yes, I enjoy the fight files on Batman and Wildcat. Oh, are you talking about the ones about the creators or the Batman and Wildcat ones? The creators. The creator and the ones Batman were very cute. Yes, uh, I I don't know that I read them as thoroughly as I could have. I just kind of skimmed them fairly quickly, especially the Bo Smith entry because I love Bo Smith. Uh, again, mainly as man in comics, and and I'm not making that up. That's what that's what people call him. But uh, yeah, I know they were very cute. I like those sort of profile things. And when you're doing a miniseries, if you're going to have a letters page, you got to fill it with something. Is Bo Smith an attractive man? Aren't all men? I guess beauty is in the eye of the. It's just just like the the flip side of it. Every woman is beautiful. Oh, there you go. I thought it was pretty funny that most people dream of using a lot of money to get away or, you know, buy something. But Lockup dreams of building a prison. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I don't know much about Lockup. I mean, I certainly I've read a lot of stories with him here and there. But, like, I wonder what the difference between Lockup and the pre-crisis master jailer really is. They seem like mm. they're the same thing. I, maybe one's just a better name for post-crisis. I don't know. But, like, it seems like the same guy. Yeah, I think I could be wrong though, but I thought Lockup was he used to be an Arkham Asylum prison guard. Okay. I thought well, you're saying that and now I'm like maybe I'm wrong. I don't have a clue. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't remember. Uh, I, I went through my Batman phase many years ago and don't remember all the details of it. You know who we should you know who we should ask? Michael Bailey. Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin, who run a Batman podcast that's started since the last time we talked. Are you serious? They run a podcast called Nightcast, which is chronicling the post-crisis adventures of Batman. They started right after Crisis, uh, right around Batman 400, and they've been moving forward uh, to an episode every two weeks. They cover an issue, and right now they're covering Batman Year One. It's good stuff. And Michael Bailey and Andrew Leyland have their own Batman podcast, but that's all well, pre—that's pre-crisis. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I was right. I think that he was. Yeah, he was. He was head of security for <laughs> Arkham Asylum. There. Okay. Whoa, so, whoa, whoa, whoa. so I don't know that, that that's bit smart. Yeah, but I don't know. That's very, uh, very much a flattering credential to be in charge of security of the one place that more people break out of than any other place I in know. the world. I know. Well, he, 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 I'm sure, had reviews, and he got some constructive criticism and, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. That's why he's trying to build, he's trying to change his life and build the best prison he can. I suppose so. Do you think this story could have worked without Barbara Gordon? Oh, absolutely. Tim, they could have had Tim, because Tim was known as having some tech skills by this point, so they could have had him do that, too. It would have been as easy to believe, but mm-hmm. and I'd much rather have Barbara in it. I, right. I, I always love when Oracle shows up. I mean, I've told you oh, for yeah. ages that Oracle's my favorite incarnation of Babs. I absolutely oh. love it. It's comics. You can always make any story work. You just change it around. Well, out of ten spiked gloves, what would you give this? Probably nine and a half. I think that maybe for the first time, I agree with you. Woo! See? 
We're bonding. It's, I can feel it. I think it, we o- are. Over a paper. Ebony and ivory go together like. Oh. oh, I'm with you. I just <laughs> needed to hear that happen. <laughs> Everyone else is sort of like staring slack jawed at their iPod right now, going, Really? <laughs> I, 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 I thought it worked for us. Uh, it does. It does. <laughs> yeah. See? Okay. So where do we go from here? Well, the question is, where did they go from here? Because Bo Smith and Chuck Dixon decided <laughs> that they hadn't had enough of this. So the next year, a year after this miniseries, they did another miniseries. This one was called Catwoman and Wildcat, or just Catwoman slash Wildcat. And it was a four-shoe miniseries, the exact same creative team, same artist, inkers, everything. Uh, I haven't read that sucker in years. I really don't remember it at all. I, I got to assume there was some pretty big flirting going on between Ted and I Selena. Ask, yeah. yeah. And in you extrapolate that down to the JSA series again which comes out around I think 99 and there's actually an issue where Ted has like broken his leg I think it is and he's in a bathtub and all the JSA is gone he's the only one left in the headquarters and he's on the phone with Selena they're having like one of those what are you wearing kind of talks Uh, (laughs) so but the reason I mention all this is besides the fact that it is a continuation of this you can find I I was wondering I'm like gosh you know how how are people going to read this stuff I wonder if it's ever been collected believe it or not it hasn't been collected, but it's going to be collected in a month. Oh, there is a oh, trade paperback. Oh, I think I remember. Yeah, yeah. It's called Batman Wildcat Trade Paperback. It ships in May 2017, mm-hmm. and it features Batman Wildcat one through three, what we just covered, uh, Catwoman Wildcat one through four, and it covers several appearances of Wildcat from the Brave and the Bold issues 88, 97, 110, 118, and 127. Wow. How awesome is that? All that between two covers. That is yeah. super cool. So you may still have time to pre-order it from your comic shop, depending on when Stella gets off her lazy butt and releases this episode. Um, But if not, you can always pick it up from InStockTrades.com. Yeah, and they I think they're also releasing the Batman Predator in trade, too. So I guess they're like making the rounds with the 90s side stories. Yeah, it's interesting how things always come around. Like I I worked in a comic shop in the 90s, and at that point, uh, it was the very early 90s. And in the late 80s and early 90s, the 70s comics were made fun of. No one liked 70s comics. Oh, the Bronze Age was the worst. And the 80s was the best. And then once you get later into the 90s, people start making fun of the 80s. They start going, oh, that's not so good. And so there's this era where like stuff that's about 10 to 15 years old they make fun of. And then once it gets past the 20-year mark, maybe the 25 years, it suddenly becomes something people like again. So we're seeing 90s comics coming back into popularity again is what's happening now. People have been making fun of them for 20 years, and now suddenly they want to read them. You know, what's funny is, remember how much trouble I had trying to find Legacy? And even uh, Andrew, when I, I recorded that with Andrew Leyland, and he had like the original copy, and, and we were seeing that it was going for $80, $90 on eBay and Amazon, and all of a sudden they've recollected it. Oh, Isn't that man. Funny? I wish they'd recollect the Starman third of Omnibus because oh, I have yeah. all the other Omnibuses. But what's happened is they've offered this third Omnibus in paperback. They did a hardcover of it. They've offered it as paper. I know no one cares but me. But anyway, they, they did a hardback of it. Then they offered it in paperback several times and canceled it. They'd offer it, cancel it, offer it, cancel it, offer it, cancel it. So now that one Omnibus, only the third volume, goes for like $179. Seriously? Yikes. I can get the issues cheaper. I can get the previous yeah. trade paperbacks cheaper. But that one omnibus is really expensive. And darn it, I've got all the other ones. So it's frustrating yeah. the crap out of me. I wanted to come back into print. I'm so sorry. I blame you. Well, would you believe me if I said it wasn't my fault? 
No. Oh, dear. Okay. I can tell that this relationship is going nowhere. <gasps> Don't say that. <laughs> this is banter. This is witty, snappy, flirty. I know, I know. Well, we're going to... Uh, Shag has graciously agreed to stay on with me for uh, the mail hour. And by graciously agreed, it means she asked me and I said, are you serious? And she said, you have to do it. And I said, what? And she showed me the contract and I have to stay. That's true. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail's here. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. So the most of the uh, interaction from fans has come from the comments on the website, but we did have one email from Professor Allen, a.k.a. Prof. Prof. <laughs> and uh, this is what, so we can always throw mud at him. We can sling mud at him after this. So he says, Stella, a month or so after listening to episode 133, I saw one of the issues you covered at Half Price Books and picked it up. It was the Birds of Prey Wolves story, which I recognized from the image that went along with your episode. I enjoy the story a lot. I like the parallelism between the stories of Babs and Black Canary, even though, as you pointed out, they both revolved around men. I know you don't like males messing around in Birds of Prey, but I enjoy the story a lot. And even though the dollar I paid for that issue seems like a lot, remember that it did have 38 pages of pretty good story. So even at that absurdly high price, I feel like I got my money's worth. I enjoyed that episode a lot, by the way, even without a guest. I think of your show the way you think of Birds of Prey. You don't need some man co-hosting oh, to oh. put together an entertaining show. Keep up the good work, Professor Allen, Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, and Darkness to Light. Nice. Any thoughts on that? Because he's calling you out there. Oh, I wasn't actually listening to any of it. Um, about needing a male co-host? Yeah. You, you absolutely don't need a male co-host. It's just more <laughs> fun when it's someone like me. I know, I know. Now, I do want to say, even though he's a kind man, that you can't trust him too much because I saw him pay like over $4 at a comic shop. Oh, Professor Allen, he's a complete quack. First of all, I, I question whether he's, whether he's actually a professor oh or not. But more importantly, he has a show called what, – what is what is his show called? The Quarter Bin Podcast? Yeah. And you know how much he pays for the comics on that yeah, show? 33 cents. Many of them he paid 33 cents for. And then he yeah. tries to tell me yeah. like some, I don't know, weak sauce gerrymandering that it's okay to do it at 33 cents. And I'm like, no, it's just misrepresentation. And you call yourself an educator of, of economics no less? You've got to be kidding me. So, oh, yeah. But he can pick out a good place to eat. I'll give him credit for that. Oh, where where'd you go to eat? Oh, he and I, we've had many meals together, Professor. Oh. And I, we, we go way back. He's a great guy. <laughs> but but he's a sham. He's a sham though. But you put on quite a show. Really had me going, but now it's time to go. Curtains finally closing. That was quite a show. Well, uh, Professor Allen, if you feel like you need to protect your character and defend yourself, you can always write back in and explain yourself and, I guess, inflation or, yeah. You know, on um, Ferris Bueller? You, know, you know, he was attacking me tonight on Facebook because I was going to be on the oh, show here. that's true. I think he what, about, what about Ferris Bueller? 
One well, you know how Ben time. Stein is. Oh, Ben Stein's up there, and he's like going through all these things, and he's like, "It's called what do economics." Voodoo economics, yeah. and he goes through all those. Bueller, I wonder um, if he. Yeah, I know. I wonder if he he thinks about that, and and I don't know, could tear apart that little speech. One of the hit, uh, they showed it for whatever reason at an in service or a meeting or of some sort, and um, one of the history teachers said, "How did he go from like something to this one?" But apparently, it was all ad libbed. They just asked Ben Stein to like, <laughs> do that whole thing, and I guess he has a background or a degree in, in whatever was going on. So. Oh, he's he's I mean he's an incredibly intelligent guy, and he, he wasn't yeah. just some funny comedian TV host guy. He no, he had a, a background in that area, as you said, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, no, it's that's probably exactly what Professor Allen's classes are like, I imagine. So oh yeah. By the way, speaking of Birds of Prey, did you uh, did you notice when we read the Batman Wildcat there was an ad for Birds of Prey Revolution in the back? I did. I did I, notice that. Very cool. It was great. Now over to the website. Uh, We have one thought on episode 133 from Ian Miller, a.k.a. Ian Prime, as I call him. And he he says some dirty words at the beginning, but I'll say them anyways. He says, don't forget Mike's Amazing World. Yeah, the Brainiac. As a resource for comic release dates, it's no longer updating, but it's pretty unbeatable for anything pre-2014. I got a virus the last time I went on there. Actually, can can I just say something? Here Uh, we go. You've been besmirching the name of Mike's Amazing World of Comics for a couple years now simply because he has so much information. Uh, And do you realize that just this year he announced he will no longer be updating the website as Ian suggested there? And let's see, you just started bashing it about a year or two ago. Now, after, I don't know, 20 years, Mike stops updating the site. Hmm. Think there might be a correlation, Stella? Apples and orange, there's no correlation. Mm-hmm. Ian, Superman, back me up here, buddy. Well, he, what happened was Brainiac, a.k.a. Mike, has uh, finally been subdued by Superman as he always needed to be. And so he's he's closing the shutters. You do realize every other podcast on the internet uses Mike's Amazing World of Comics as a resource and thanks him every episode, right? Only you take a stand to attack yeah. this poor man, Mike Voiles. He's a nice gentleman. I'm sure he is, but, you know, the, he's pulled the wool, or the digibites, if you will, over oh. your eyes. Oh, my gosh. You're a horrible human being. <laughs> You're a horrible human being. Ah, uh, yeah. True confession, I've used it maybe once or twice. <gasps> But that's why I said I got a... a Liar. Yeah. Back to Ian here. The Veronica Mars theme song at the beginning was pretty fun. I tend to agree that the Birds of Prey Who is Oracle arc would have been better served with five issues rather than seven, counting the rebirth issue. I did love the backstories for each of the birds, though. I'm not quite as down on Hope Larson's back roll as you are, but again, I think that's because I'm much more down on the Burnside run. Sad... No, happy-faced emoji! We continue to edge forward... In the Birds of Prey ongoing. I really enjoy these getting to know you. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. Name that musical. Name mm-hmm. That. That's the one. You got the it. King and I. The King and I. Of course. That's what I said. No, you had no idea. The getting to know you mini arcs that Dixon used to build up Babs and Dinah as a team. I'm curious. What are your thoughts on the art for these 90 comics? I've generally been impressed with the quality of the art for this rather obscure title, though my favorite Birds of Prey artist is still definitely Nicola Scott, with Joe Bennett as second and Ed Benet's third. Oh, Though all three of those are from Simone's run, so we have 50-plus issues to go. 
Do you have any thoughts on '90s uh, the art in the Birds of Prey? Have you been reading any? Have you read any of the the, the current stuff or the old stuff he's talking? The about? old stuff. Oh yeah, I read every issue of Birds of Prey. Uh, oh. I was a huge yeah. I, I've told you this before. Not that you listen to a darn thing I say. I was nice. a huge supporter of Birds of Prey. I bought it when it was in the one shots and the miniseries mm-hmm. and all that. I was I bought it from the beginning because it had Chuck Dix's name on the cover. And from there, I fell in love with the book. And then uh, there was a weird period in between Chuck Dixon and Gail Simone where it was kind of weak and it had some weak sauce sort of like uh, mm. fill-ins. And, uh, and I, I started to think I might get out. And then Gail Simone came on with Ed Benes and I saw Huntress on the cover. And I'm like, ooh, she's hot. Let me give this a try again. I'm not this. That's, I'm sorry, folks. It's right there in the name, Irredeemable. It is a true story. I saw Huntress and I saw it drawn by Ed Benes. I'm like, wait a minute. I might need to look at this and uh, realize what a great, amazingly well-written comic it was. So, uh, anyway, yes, uh, I, I loved the art. Oh, see, I'm see, I'm bad with remembering names, but the art on the Birds of Prey originally was it Jackson J- uh, Jackson Juice Geist? Got, yeah. Yeah, Butch Geis. Uh, I I enjoyed his art on the beginning of that. And then uh, Search for Oracle, which was an amazing story. I enjoyed all that. I I liked the Phil Noto covers. Uh, I enjoyed the Ed Benes stuff for obvious reasons. I I enjoyed the – I think Birds of Prey was one of the best, most consistent series Mm -hmm. back then. Yeah, and I agree. I don't have – I mean there are – very particular arts, I'll be like, "Ooh, this is this is no good," and it's really, you know, if I can't tell what's going on or if I have trouble understanding what's happening, that's when there's there's a big uh, miss up, or if all the images look like poopy faces, um, <laughs> <laughs> then, then it's just no good. But no, I I have been enjoying it. I think the only inconsistency I would say is um, the length of Barbara Gordon's hair. Well, yeah. And there's exactly two people in the world that are bothered by that, by the way. I know. Okay. I know. On to episode 134. There was a nice little conversation that went back and forth. First from Ian Prime. He says, Michael is, as always, a delight. Do you think he'll say the same thing about you? Probably not. Okay. I really appreciate your look at the comics, good and bad, so we know what to check out. And those crossovers look like they might be worth checking out indeed. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Did you like the crossovers in Genesis? There were a couple of them that didn't suck, uh, as I seem to recall. But, I mean, the crossovers were certainly better than the issue itself. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Bailey and I really enjoyed, especially the the Batman and the Detective Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. issue. So uh, I thought that was good. Yeah. I was talking to some fans on the CBR forums, and they said that Azriel and Babs had a sometimes romantic, inflected relationship. Have you seen any hints of that in your reading? I've never read any of Azriel's issues outside of a couple of crossovers, so I have no knowledge myself. Uh, as for me, and I don't know if you can you can respond to this, Shag, but I've only been reading bits and pieces of Azriel when he pops in. I'm actually going to start to read more consistently because it seems like in the 30s onward she pops up some more. So now that I know of this, I'll keep track. But up until now it's just been friendly uh and some some fun banter and everything like we saw in in genesis have do you do you remember anything no it actually i didn't read that title at all i, I read okay. the sword of asriel the initial four issue yeah. miniseries oh, yes, drawn yes, yes. by a uh, marvel ceo or editor-in-chief mm-hmm. uh joe casada which i really enjoyed the sort of asriel miniseries but then just the character like after nightfall i was kind of done with that character you know, as you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be burned out on him. And I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to follow the series. So really for me in the nineties, it was Robin, Nightwing and Birds of Prey every month. Uh, that triumvirate, I called it the triumvirate. I love that book, the, all those books. Mm-hmm. And I stuck with Batman and Detective through 
probably actually the point where you are now, I was already getting out. I got out probably just before Legacy and then came back for uh, No Man's Land and would come, you know, I'd drop in here and there. But I still Mm -hmm. stuck with Nightwing, Robin, and Birds of Prey, though. Well, good for you. Yes, I'll keep you. I'll keep. I'll keep you updated on the shipper for sure. And by the way, just to step back a bit, uh, Ian's comments earlier. You said you wonder what Ian was going to say about me. I went back and looked at the last time I was on the show, uh-huh. and Ian Prime was kind enough to say I really enjoyed all the topics you covered oh. with Shag. Oh, and he was fairly complimentary. So thank you, Ian Prime. So maybe he's a hashtag uh, Team Shag. Oh, I think Ian Prime is definitely hashtag Team Shag. Okay. So Ian continues, I really liked this month's Birds of Prey, the way it tied in so tightly with the rest of the DC Universe. It makes the birds feel like real inhabitants of Gotham with interactions and relationships that go beyond the last pages of their own book. Last note about the music, thanks for including that segment. I don't always love the songs, but this <laughs> month's songs w- song was great, and it reminded me of Tegan and Sarah's Not Your Hero that you also introduced me to a long time ago. Have you featured Daughtry's Waiting for Superman? I can't recall if that one's made it on your radio hour. Smiley face emoji. I haven't, but I will have to use that soon. Now, since we're talking about Daughtry here, you know Daughtry's a big superhero fan. I Doesn't he also draw? He is does. He an artist? Yeah. He is. And, you, and, and he's written me a couple of times on Instagram. Personally? Yeah. Just con- like tagged me because do you know what character he's a huge fan of? I'm going to guess it might be Firestorm. Daughtry is a huge fan of Firestorm. If you check his Instagram, everyone when he's out and about doing stuff, sometimes he's wearing a Firestorm t-shirt. When he does Firestorm artwork, he'll, he'll give me a heads up so I can promote it for him. And it's just – I mean not that he needs any help from me, but I mean he's just sharing it to a fellow fan. And uh, it's – it's so wild to see him as a big Firestorm yeah, fan. Yeah, it's funny that he's a singer and an artist. Yeah. Look at that guy, the creative juices. Uh, do you think he could be your brother from another mother? Uh, he Well, he doesn't have a lot of hair, but uh, probably probably not. Oh, okay. He's a lot cooler than me. Is he going to be at HeroCon? No. Uh, here, the nice Why'd, you get, Why'd you do that? Cause, no, because the nice thing about HeroesCon is it, it is – really a comic book convention. It is not a pop culture convention like so many conventions. You're not oh. going to find any actors there. You're not going to find the cast of Twilight. You're not going to find the new Walking Dead actors. It is going to be comic book professionals. That's what I'm so excited about Heroes Con for. Oh, okay. Ian continues, forgot to shout out to – well, I, I don't know how to respond to that. I'm I glad mean, how excited you sound too. <laughs> well, I mean if Chris Daughtry is drawing comics, couldn't he be included on the list? He could. He's not drawing comics though. Oh, he's just a fan? He, draws, he does, like, paintings and drawings for himself. Okay. Then never mind. He's a, he's a little busy with a different career. I understand. Well, okay. I'm looking forward to the HCC as well. Wow. We have an acronym now. Nice. <laughs> uh, Ian continues. Forgot to shout out to Chris. Your opening about the background coloring book amused me since I actually went through it last night and found nine pictures of my girl, Stephanie Brown. Seven is background to a spoiler. It is an amazing <laughs> feeling to find your favorite background represented in the coloring book. Smiley face emoji. Chris then responds, hey, Ian, thanks. Me? I was pleasantly surprised to see a Betty Kane back gash girl in the book. Smiley face emoji. Oh, wow. I know, yep. Well, no, Cass, though, as Batgirl in that, in that particular Not a book. single, no Cassandra at all? No, it was sad. That's shocking. Was okay, sad. wow. I don't think Huntress is in there either, but I can't remember. Uh, Chris actually was kind enough to gift me the coloring book. So Aww, Chris is so and nice, and I, lo- and I love his reviews. Is. He is a kindly man. 
And then Ian responds, Chris, do you like what Rucka, Williams, and Blackman did with Bat in the Batwoman titles? And then Chris, or geez, you people are having conversation on this. <laughs> and then Chris responds, Ian, I have mixed feelings. More positive her character appeared and was used than negative underdeveloped skills. Ultimately, I'm glad she wasn't forgotten. I'm glad that Steph got some love in the coloring book. I wonder what remains in store for her in the future. And then I think our fu- oh never mind. And then Ian responds, interesting. <laughs> I have no connection with Bet outside her use in the Batwoman book. So my only negative is when Bet was dropped from the book with the creative team, since the reason given, broken bone, was ridiculous. Considering Bet was literally gutted in the first arc, that's true, and came back stronger. Smiley face emoji. Steph has a solo issue in Detective Comics coming up after Cassandra's arc concludes, and Bet is supposed to show up in Batwoman. Looking forward to both quite a bit. And to round out this uh, this conversation here, Chris says, Double interesting. Thanks for the heads up, Ian. I'll be sure to get that on the release date. I wasn't around for Bet slash Betty's first appearances, but when I first encountered her in the comics around 77, she was a tennis pro in her civilian ID and wondering if she s- could still do the costume heroine thing. You know, there's a connection with this comment and who's who. Do you remember what it is? Well, I know that in who's who we've talked about her a few different times because we've talked yeah, about remember, her. Yes, her original entry. We uh, we yeah. brought we brought you in to help give some commentary we, on Batgirl in general, and uh-huh. there was some confusion about the tennis <gasps> pro piece of it. Yeah. yeah. I remember. remember who made the mistake. Uh, Aqua Rob did actually. It was Aqua Rob. Yep. Yep. So, but then we covered her again in Who's Who when we did the 1989 annuals, and there's a great shot of her by George Perez when she was in her Flamebird persona, and still the tennis pro stuff. So that, yeah, that was a great one, and uh, it's. I like that character. I, I only know the character truthfully from Post Crisis as mm. Flamebird. I enjoyed yeah. her as Flamebird quite a bit. I liked when she would appoear. I liked the gimmick with her, you know, goo goo eyeing a dick. Uh, and then I liked her trying to make it on her own with Titans West. I thought that was cool. When do you think who's who's coming back? Well, we, we're we've we're in the middle. Of, it's it's here. It hasn't gone away. We're in a transition now because. Well, no, you stopped listening. Doesn't mean the rest of the world did. We, we finished up the main Who's Who series. Then we finished up 80, update 87. We finished up update 88. We did the annuals. Now we're in this weird period where we've covered Who's Who in Star Trek. Uh, I'm doing Who's Who in the Legion right now, and we're about a third of the way through that. Then I figure in about mm, four or five months, we'll start Who's Who the Loose Leaf Edition, which is Awesome, and I want to say I think Betty Kane's got another Flamebird entry in there, if I remember right. Well, you know, the loose leaf is when all those really excited. That's when we really bonded because yeah. we would we would read a really bad tale, and then I would say, <laughs> "Hey, is Velvet Tiger in the?" And then you're like, "She's in the loose leaf." So I just can't wait for you to hit upon all these people that we thought were ridiculous. I can't wait to talk about Velvet Tiger again. Velvet Tiger in particular. <laughs> And then my oh my. Well, and real quick, I, I I forgot yeah. to mention earlier when we were talking about comics and reading. I am reading Detective Comics. I'm quite a few months behind on it. I mean, it's just stacked up next to the bed. But I'm really enjoying the the dynamic in that series where you have those. It's kind of like a '90s love fest, really. I mean, Steph and Tim and and Cass and all those characters together on a team is really cool. So can I think I might deserve an apology? See, then you got to get into the continuity of me, you know, attacking you on the air about it. And it's not worth the effort. So let's just skip it. Our 
our final comment is from this guy. He's yellowish and reddish, and he's got some flamey heads. And it says the irredeemable shag. I'll be happy to read the comment. It's pretty much a repeat what I said earlier, but it says, wow, about five minutes in and already two vicious attacks against me, <laughs> plus the show notes. Uh, you, you think you'd appreciate that I created an opportunity for you two to chat. You're welcome. And if you look at the time, it's March 16th at 10.15 p.m. because at 10.20, my Logan movie started. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Well, I'm glad that we made an impact. You could call your, it that. In your life. More like a dent. Oh, man. Don't you think a lot of people would like a stellicized hole in their heart? Aww. We would all like a stellicized hole in our hearts. Yeah. I've already got one. So. Oh, that is that is nice to hear. When we go to HCC, we can get matching tap. Perfect. I would love that. You go first, and then uh, I'll see how yours comes out. And, I'll, and then we'll... Or, you sort, you know, I, I want to make sure it's right, you know? It's so. like when Phoebe and Rachel go to get tattoos, and Phoebe completely chickens out. And gets, like, <laughs> one little dot with a little pen. <gasps> oh, it looks so good. Oh, I love it. I know. So do I. Oh, Phoebe, I'm so glad you made me do this. Okay, let me see yours. Ah. <laughs> see yours again. <laughs> Baby, we just saw mine. Let me see yours. Oh, okay. <clears throat> oh, no. Oh, it's gone. That's so weird. I don't know how where it went. You didn't uh, get it? No. Why didn't you get it? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Baby, oh, how could you to me this was all your idea i know i know and i was gonna get it but then he came in with this needle and like did you know they do this with needles <laughs> really you don't say because mine was left on by kittens oh. <laughs> I, i'm sorry all right seriously seriously does it hurt a lot no it's just like a pinch like that ow oh ow oh my god oh that oh, oh that really hurt me oh that's gonna leave a mark <laughs> Isn't that funny? Could it be any more funny? Thank you, Bing. So the final question is perhaps the most important. Are you Team Shag or Team Donovan? It's a tough one, uh, especially since you asked me this last time I was on. And I've been struggling (laughs) in trying to decide if I picked the right choice. (laughs) I did not. You did. But I think uh, I'm going to have to say I'm absolutely Team Don. It just makes a lot more sense. Oh, can you explain? And if it keeps me from having to appear on the show again anytime soon, definitely Team Dawn. Oh, that that makes me sad. I know. I know. Now you have a still a shape hole in your heart. Well, But it hurts. Yeah. It does hurt a lot. Exactly. Well, it's been a pleasure. We got to review a fun story, I think. Pleasure. Because well, the last time was Final Night, so that was a little touch and go there for a minute. It was not. We Final sure Night was excellent. Uh-huh. We, well, I wasn't sure if our friendship was going to last at that moment. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know our friendship was going to survive the Genesis episode. Well, yeah, I know. That was, tu- that was tough and go to touch and go to. But after seeing some counselors, I think we're okay. <laughs> and uh, no, I'm, no, I'm always happy to have – I know that people wonder why I invite you back on, but hopefully they can tell once they finish listening. I don't know that they can. We have a blast. I don't know the rest of the world does. Yeah, I get – maybe they're jealous. I think they are. We we have a connection. We have a, I don't know we some sort of back and forth uh, rapport that other people just don't have it's with true. you. 
I mean, all your guests are friendly and lovely. Well, except for Bailey. They're all – and Andrew Leland. I mean, all the rest of them are very engaged. Well, except oh. for Don. Oh, okay. And, and Tom. But anyway, anybody besides those guys is quite interesting and engaging. And um, they just – but they don't – they're just the little oomph that you and I have that they're just missing. I understand. Well, can you tell us the bazillion podcasts that you're on that um, people could listen to and support you? Sure, I would love to. You can find all my stuff over at the Fire and Water Podcast Network, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. AKA we have the Fire and Water Work <laughs> Net or Cast or whatever the heck you call it. <laughs> uh, anyway, I do shows about Aquaman and Firestorm. I do a, a show about Who's Who. I do a show about Digests. I do a show about the Justice League International. Uh, I do a show about the the DC Heroes role playing game. Beyond that, we've got a ton of other shows because there's a bunch of us that are in the network. We've got a Batman show. We've got a romance comic show. We've got a Marvel Universe, uh, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe show, which is like nothing you could ever imagine. We've got a show about Treasury Cast. We've got a show about Pod Dylan. We've got Star Wars and Black Canary and just tons and tons and tons of stuff. So please swing by FireWaterPodcast.com. I'm sure you will find something that will fill that Stella shaped hole in your heart. In between the months, you have to wait for her episodes months month well month. i mean in, i meant you know you wait a month months is in between the months like you wait know, a month but they're so month. short too you know your episodes really R- really have have you yeah. looked at the running times of your episodes they're pretty short three hours is short <laughs> I'm, I'm trying think- so hard to get it cut down but people talk so much that's why oh. i don't talk at all oh my gosh and by the way easy listening Yes. It, it, you know, um, a poor Ian, poor Ian Prime, he probably had to buy a new hard drive just to store all these MP3s he had to download to listen Aww. to it. And then poor Chris Carnes gets shoved out at hour 42 each month, you know, and it's just, it's not fair to these. It's consistently the same spot. Where do you want me to put Chris? No, I just mean he has to wait 46 hours before his part even starts. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. I, I genuinely, honestly appreciate being on the show. I always enjoy our chats. It's so much fun. Uh, I, I, it feels like I'm almost sitting down and chatting with a friend, except that. Oh. Well, in a couple months, maybe we can beat each other up with the brass knuckles. Perfect. We'll get the spiked gloves and we'll reenact the cover of, episode, uh, of Batman Wildcat issue And then three. I'll go nom, nom, nom like Killer Croc. <laughs> Wait, that implies you're going to win the fight. <laughs> I think I could. Bring it. Well, when I come back alone, I'm going to be covering Birds of Prey number 8, Batgirl number 9 slash number 61, and the Batgirl annual number 1. But first, it's Zias' Radio Hour featuring Sarah McLaughlin's version of Blackbird.
Well, before I do any of these reviews, I, of course, have to address the fact that there might possibly be a Batgirl film in the works. Now, quite recently, I believe on March 30th, 29th, sometime around there, it was announced that Joss Whedon has been tapped to work or create a Batgirl film, and... I think I'm actually not sure where I first heard about it because my Twitter, my Facebook was all blowing up, which I'm so appreciative and I felt more important perhaps than I truly am because people saw that and they automatically thought of me. So it's great that my name is now synonymous with Backroll. So I at first was, I, well, let me step-by-step process kind of thing. I was, when I first heard it, super excited. I thought, yes, this is going to be amazing. And just very thankful to Wonder Woman because I think that is the film really that's opening doors. I think, unfortunately, female-led and female-hero-led films in the early 2000s, they weren't well-received. They weren't production-wise as good. Catwoman and Electra, I'm looking at you. And so I think the doors were sort of closed off to more female-led films. Uh, Unfortunately, in the animated universe, Wonder Woman, such an amazing animated film, and perhaps, and is actually getting a special re-release because of the Wonder Woman film, live-action film that's coming out, but that wasn't as well-received, even though it is amazing, and I think everyone who has reviewed it has said it's amazing. It just wasn't, uh, it didn't get the sales that it required in order to get a sequel or of course the Batgirl Year One thing it was very much tied to that. So now that we have a live action Wonder Woman, we have a Captain Marvel in the works, I think this is going to open up the avenue for more female led heroes. And that's great also because, you know, Batgirl is going to hurt me to say this is not an A list hero. You know, when you think of top superheroes, Batgirl is certainly not going to be the one. You know, you always think Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, for sure. And then you might come up with other ones. But Batgirl, it's going to take a little while for people to sort of come up with that as someone they would want to see. So I'm so great that she's going to get some screen time. Then, so I'm super happy. Then news starts to trickle in and I'm starting to get a little concerned that the film is going to be edgier or uh, a little more hardcore or you know darker that now it's going to be based off of uh, the Gail Simone New 52 run so you can imagine uh, my heart is fluttering a little bit just with the dangers that this could bring so first of all I don't think that a film in the DC cinematic universe or whatever it's being called, extended universe, I guess, needs to be based on any comic. We've seen already with the things that Zack Snyder is doing that it's original. There might be ties or certain hints or homages to pre-existing comic stories, but they are, I feel like, pretty original. I mean, Batman versus Superman, sure, that's happened, but in this way, with what happened, no. And I'm just thinking that you don't need to have anything based off of the comics. But if you were, New 52 Batgirl would not be the story that I would pick. Now, I hate to do this, quite honestly, but I'm going to just say, state this fact, that I've been delving pretty deep into Barbara Gordon's history for the past seven years for this show. And I love the character, and I'm going to say this, Uh, with a lot of gravitas here. The New 52 is not a good representation of who Barbara Gordon is. And I think it would be very unfortunate for that to be the representation of her 
on film. Now, perhaps it'd be better, well, probably, it'd be better than what or the only thing we have right now of her on film, which is the Killing Joke animated film. So anything could probably be better than that. But we don't need something that's dark. You know, I've said this time and again, and I think many people believe this as well. It's not just me saying it, that Barbara Gordon or any Batgirl really is supposed to be the bright spot of the Batman family. Bruce and and Batman have have cornered the market on darkness uh even lego batman you know darkness that that's him that's not barbara gordon and i think you even saw that in the lego batman film uh how she was optimistic and and brought i think more hope than batman had on his own so i i just feel like we don't need that if you i just feel like her original stories back in the 60s can certainly be modernized and retold and Chuck Dixon has done that with Batgirl Year One, which was a great retelling of that, keeping the spirit of that alive, of the 60s alive, and, and bringing it and modernizing it. You have a Jim Gordon cast now, which, so, I mean, why can't you do something that's with, you know, Batgirl Year One or, or something that actually has Killer Moth, which would be amazing. And, of course, he would have some sort of shtick or gimmick. He doesn't have to have his uh, orange and <laughs> purple striped pants or you know his purple shirt or anything but yes you can you can do these things uh and bring them up to date it doesn't need to be this darkness i mean how amazing and humorous would it be to have ben affleck bruce wayne be saved by you know a barbara gordon who's just dressed up for kicks and giggles and takes down killer moth that would be amazing and then perhaps if you wanted a more serious villain so i'm i'm very much against that and uh you know it's not again it's not personal against gail simone because she does have a a better and deeper understanding of barbara gordon than some other writers do but i don't think the new 52 back row was a good representation of who Barbara Gordon is. The other thing is regarding Oracle and and where that place is and was Barbara Gordon Oracle or would she be Oracle in this particular universe and then going back. And I feel like, you know, the killing joke, that's going to be the thing. Is that going to get an adaptation or a place in live action? And I hate that it's so tied to Barbara. And I realize that this is what sort of you know, set her on the path of Oracle and how wonderful Oracle was, but that they originally just wanted to get rid of her. You know, it was two other people, John Ostrander and Kim Yeo, that gave her a purpose. And Barbara Gordon was a victim in a story that wasn't even her own story. It was somebody else's story. And I don't think that we should celebrate that in, in film form either. I kind of want them to, I hope that they hold out on Oracle. Uh, again, it, it doesn't, well, we're sort of just beginning this extended universe, so I don't think we need to show all of our hands right away or everything in in our hands right away and I, I think just have her out as Batgirl and if you want to do something at the end that that is like a very ambiguous moment of her getting shot or something then let that be it and then she come back as Oracle but why start out you know as Oracle I yeah so I just want to I don't know. I would love for there just to be a, a nice progression from Batgirl to you know from Barbara Gordon really to Batgirl to Oracle. I think that would be lovely. Uh, so those are all my thoughts there. You know, the thing I was thinking, though, when all of this was landed is that this movie makes me want impossible things. And I, I think I posted that a couple places. And 
what a dream come true it would be to uh, do a set visit or talk with the people who are bringing Barbara Gordon back girl to life. You know, someone that I've dedicated seven years of my life to would be unimaginably awesome. And I think life-changing, life-altering, life-fulfilling. Uh, so, you know, it, it does make me want impossible things. And, and perhaps, perhaps I can, I don't know, weasel my way in there somewhere. I am not above greasing some palms for sure. But yeah, so I just wanted to mention that and, and please send me your thoughts on what you think of the, the news, the release of just the fact that there is going to be a Batgirl film, uh, the fact that uh, it is going to be darker and that it's potentially going to be based off of the new 52 or at least that's where the inspiration is going to come from well let's move on from there and actually talk some comics now speaking of oracle we have first up batgirl and the birds of prey number eight blackbird part one blackbird sings Writers Julie Benson and Shauna Benson, artist Rohe Antonio, and colorist Alan Pasalacqua. Nightwing is going after Gemini, a villain who originated from Blue Haven, and he is getting help from Oracle and tracking her down. Nightwing is having difficulty accepting this new Oracle when he comes upon Batman. Or is it? He is shocked to discover that besides her elongating power, Gemini can also shapeshift. Gemini has killed all her attachments as part of her training with someone named Blackbird, a teacher who only trains metahumans. Nightwing is getting beat pretty badly by Gemini and is even stabbed in the back when the birds appear and both protect Nightwing and fight off Gemini. Huntress and Batgirl lead Nightwing off while Black Canary uses her canary scream to blow up the gas tank of a motorcycle and this takes Gemini out with a fire that spreads her molecules and makes her vulnerable. At the watchtower, both Huntress and Babs nurse Dick and catch up with him, Helena by talking about leaving Spiral and Babs about this new Oracle and not to trust him. You're telling me! Speaking of Oracle, Oracle gets upset and yells at Dinah and Helena, not as calm as he normally is. He disconnects, takes another pill, AZT-Rick, and reappears as calm as ever, saying there's nothing on Blackbird, but he does direct them to a metahuman fight ring. Dinah, the only metahuman, is determined to go this angle of the mission alone. They all wish her luck as she goes off. She finds Madame Roulette as the leader of the fight ring and convinces her to sign her up. Meanwhile, Gemini returns to Blackbird, and Blackbird ends up absorbing Gemini's powers and leaving to find her next student to be continued. How apropos that this issue comes in the same episode of this podcast that I just did Batman and Wildcat, right? <laughs> I, I thought that this was great. Madame Roulette is there, which I mentioned at the beginning of this show. The undercover part with Dinah reminds me again of the Justice League Unlimited episode with Wildcat, and it just, oh, it's just great how things come together sometimes, right? What What is that great slogan? I love how a plan comes together. I can't remember who said that, and someone's going to be shouting at me. <laughs> oh, it's A-Team. It was A-Team, I think. Uh, yes, I'm going to be confident and say, yes, I love how a plan comes together is from A-Team. I actually wonder, after this particular issue with where we ended it if this whole arc is going to be Dinah oriented and because the first arc we certainly had well we had bits of Babs bits of Helena uh, so I wonder if this is going to be Dinah centric which will be pretty cool I think so talking about Gemini she is the daughter of Madame Rouge which was mentioned in the actual issue in the Beast Boy miniseries from 2000 which I talked 
about with Tom Panneries, she actually sought revenge against Beast Boy for killing her mother, which of course is not necessarily what happened there. In the end, she's thwarted by Beast Boy, Flamebird, and Nightwing, uh, Nightwing having come to investigate the attacks. And then she actually joins her old, her mother's old group, the Brotherhood of Evil. And uh, her first mission actually with them was an arms deal with the Penguin and Blue Haven, but they were defeated by Batgirl. So there is a nice little connection between Gemini of the past and Batgirl of the past. I feel like it's a great choice for a villain as she has a connection to both Nightwing and Batgirl, I guess outside of the comic. We did have a couple uh, comments about the physicality of Nightwing that I want to point out. So Gemini, when she's Nightwing, she says that the suit makes her butt look amazing. So there's another butt joke with Nightwing. It's just dragging on, I guess. I guess that's just uh, the thing with Nightwing. And Babs is also distracted by Dick's abs at one point. The moments with Dick and the girls are both awkward and amazingly funny as their awkwardness. But they're also, I think, very beautiful or maybe that's too strong of a word but just very sweet I think Uh, you know catching up with them showing that he cares for them even though of course he's at a different stage of his life and 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 so are they you know the the back roll that one is very hard to watch obviously because you know he is with somebody else And then you transition from those moments to the conversation between Babs and Helena and just how far that they've progressed. And, you know, Helena saying that she'd take a step back and clearly he's in love with Babs and and Babs being sad because, you know, Dick is already with somebody. But just being able to, I guess, sisters before misters, Helena not being the type of person who would get in the way of that. And, And I think it's part partly to Helena's character as well as I think just that this team is very much building a relationship between each other. I'm glad that Dick is having trouble with Gus as Oracle as well as me. Uh, I know that Barbara is saying that she is watching him, but still a little nervous. I don't really know what's going on. Does this pill that he is taking calm him down? He's kind of been on the back burner since we have been revealed that he's been talking to somebody. Uh, plus those scandalous girl, whatever, Skype dates he's been having. I guess it's going to drag on for a little bit and, and we're only going to get pieces of him and then it'll be revealed later. But I don't trust him. Part of me wondered if Blackbird was teacher from the Batgirl Asia arc. Of course, because of the whole teacher thing. Also because she had a bit of a look about her. I'm assuming that it's not, though the art, I mean, it looked very much like her, but who knows? I really liked this issue. I thought it was well-rounded. The beginning mission ties in with the whole arc. There's a nice little tie and nod to history, as the Benson sisters have been customarily doing. There are nice interactions between Dick, Helena, Babs, Helena, and Babs. So I thought it was great. So I'm going to give this 9 out of 10 birds. 
Next up, it's back row number nine slash 61, Son of Penguin Part 3. Writer Hope Larson, pencils and cover Chris Wildgoose. Inks John Lamb and colorist Matt Lopez. Two guys working on a big pitch get interrupted by a delivery girl who happens to really be a robber who uses a Faraday bag. Batgirl appears, uh, which basically cuts off communication once you're what's in like all sorts of electrical stuff. Batgirl appears, but the girl runs off into a crowd thick with people dressed similarly from the actual delivery place. But Batgirl uses some goggles to visualize radio waves and then zeroes in on the dead spot. Batgirl takes down the delivery girl, then realizes she is late and rushes off to her job at the elementary school. Once there, she finds all the kids on their phones with a new app called Doggo, where you do everything you would with a real dog, but with a digital one. Do you remember DigiPets? Man, I've got such stories with that one. Babs lets little Esme know the point of this app, and it's data mining. The developer finds out everything about the user. Outside, people on the street are also using Doggo, and Batgirl contemplates this and Vic form as she walks home, seeing Alicia on her front stoop. Alicia needs a place to stay for a while, and we see that she and Joe are disagreeing about the whole children thing. Babs goes off to write her paper and has trouble focusing, so she tries to use her memory room, as she did in Asia, but is distracted by a phone. Frankie leads her to a website which shows all the time Batgirl has photobombed Doggo. Maybe Vic form is data mining her. Speaking of, Ethan invites Babs to a masquerade ball at the Burnside Museum of Modern Art. After a short discussion on publicity, Ethan and Babs share a private moment behind a sculpture, and Ethan tells her he bought her a red toothbrush. Hint, hint. Ethan goes off to schmooze the press, while Batgirl uses the distraction to investigate Vic Form headquarters. But she's attacked by two people with bowler hats and then challenged by Penguin to a ping-pong match. Next up, foul play. Well, starting at the beginning, I do wonder how Batgirl knew that that particular girl was robbing the two guys. Because it's within the uh, an apartment complex. I mean, how did she know exactly? Is she investigating all apps? And if so, was Pronghorn bad or was it just this one person who was pretending to be in Pronghorn? I'm not really sure how the beginning, this initial mission connects with the rest of the story. The apps, especially with the children, is so real life. I mean, faces in screens. Uh, and that makes it very scary because it's so true. People walking on the street. You know what I think of instead of Doggo? I think of Pokemon Go. Maybe that's what it was satirizing. Who knows? Now, the Elisa thing is confusing. I'm not really sh- exactly sure what her hang-up is, and neither does her partner. Shouldn't they be communicating? Uh, she just runs off and goes back. I don't, yeah, I, I couldn't really, I don't know. I mean, these are obviously fictional characters um, and some sort of conflict has been created between them. But even Joe is like, this is so unfair. And then Alicia says, you have no idea and runs off. And I'm just like, what? And then that whole backflash in general was confusing because I thought that there was an art error and I actually wasn't following the conversation because I actually thought Joe was Babs. And then I was like, why, why did Babs lose that ponytail that she had? The color of the art was a little toned down, but you can't really tell. So I think it would have been helpful to have something like, you know, one hour ago, but it's just very like abrupt and it's only one page. It's like present that conversation back to present. I like Babs using the memory room or meditating in order to find peace and separate herself from the rest of the world. And I hope, I just feel like this is something that probably Babs would do. uh, And I hope that she 
maybe uses this more often, maybe especially when she's working on her case. It reminds me a little bit of the Burnside crew and how uh, you would see her tap into her eidetic memory and, and sort of scan a room and see what had happened. The Masquerade Ball reminds me of, guess what, Fifty Shades Darker. Now, let me talk about the big elephant in the room, and that's the Ethan-Barbara relationship. At the beginning of the story, it seems like Batgirl is, in fact, more interested in the mission, which is investigating Ethan. But then near the end, it seems again that she is conflicted. I mean, she's blushing when they kiss. She considers how much she is serious about her, i.e. the toothbrush. Also, she comments that, yes, she likes red, which is basically saying yes to you-know-what's-up. It's like an undercover cop movies where people's feelings get a little muddied and they begin caring or respecting the people they are supposed to take down. I'm just not sure what is happening here. Because is she investigating him or is she dating him? She doesn't seem to understand. I, <laughs> I, something needs to be cleared up here. There's like a major conflict. And I don't know if it's the uh, the writing or if it's the character itself. I'm. It just needs to be cleared up. This is the second issue in a row that I've brought this up. So I'm hoping that one way or the other she needs to decide. And again, I'm going to you know go back to Kai, right? The Barbara Gordon I know would not be having entertaining any of these thoughts with someone that she feels like is not a legitimate uh, business person or is not on the up and up. So I don't know why there's any confusion whatsoever because she just had this with Kai and now she's doing it again. Barbara Gordon is not that person who, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. She's not a fool me twice. You don't even get there. You get to sort of shame and then she, she punches you. So... This needs to be fixed, and by the next issue, there needs to be something that's definitively saying one side or the other, and it better be on the side of I'm investigating him, and I should not be hanging out with him. On the upside, I will say that I can't wait to see Batgirl play Penguin in Ping Pong. For some reason, Ping Pong can very natural to me. See, any idiot can play. So I started playing it all the time. I played ping pong, even when I didn't have anyone to play ping pong with. Now, you know, overall, I actually thought that this was a pretty decent issue. I was engaged in the reading, right? There are some of these issues that I'm like, ugh, I just want to get it over with. But, you know, I actually enjoyed it. But if you think about it, it really is a sum of some disjointed parts. You have Pronghorn, Doggo, Alicia, Vicform. How do any of those connect? They really don't. So, you know, some cohesion would be lovely. I'm going to give this a a 6 out of 10 bats. Now on to Batgirl Annual number 1. And I know that Michael Bailey was excited to hear what I thought about this because, of course, it's Batgirl and Supergirl teaming up. And I was looking forward 
to it as well. So let's see if my expectations were met or if I was disappointed. So Batgirl Annual number one, we're going to start off with the first story, which is World's Finest. Script, Hope Larson. Pencils and inks, Inaki Miranda. Colors, Eva de la Cruz. Batgirl is in National City, stopping Red Spur from some technical sabotage. When Supergirl shows up and asks for her help, breaking into a Cadmus Black Site lab with Wayne Tech as its security, and saving Gale, who has been psychically communicating with Supergirl. Batgirl, after, I guess, some coffee and a little thinking, decides to help her out. The girls take every precaution, or so it seems, but the mission does not go as planned, and Batgirl has to crash the entire security system. They encounter a young man named Caleb, who uses his freeze powers without any control. The duo ends up saving him, and the three of them go to find Gale. Upon finding Gale, the team learns more about her, and in particular Supergirl, because Gale has a key to the Phantom Zone and needs to get there because someone can help her. She does something to Supergirl and then disappears. The three leave the facility and then lie down under the stars so that Supergirl can regain some of her strength. Batgirl says that Supergirl can call her if she needs help and gives her some helpful hints as to stronger passwords. This story continues in Supergirl number 9. The next story and the final one in this is Rain Check, writer Vita Ayala, artist Eleonora Carlini, and colorist Matt Lopez. These particular events take place before Batgirl number one, just FYI. Riot Black has returned, and Batgirl, with some help from Frankie, are planning on bringing him down before he upgrades his system. Unfortunately for Babs, her friendship with Alicia is getting in the way. Alicia wants to celebrate her friend anniversary with Babs. I'm not kidding. But Babs has continued to ask for rain checks due to her missions as Batgirl. Babs is determined to spend time with Alicia, but Frankie keeps calling to let her know that Raya Black is getting ready to upgrade. Babs tries to beg off from Alicia, explaining that she has an important meeting with her advisor, but Alicia comes along demanding an expensive dessert afterwards. Soon we have Babs and Civvies, Alicia and Raya Black on one room. As Babs fights, Riot Black and gets information from Frankie. She's also explaining to Alicia how she knows such fighting moves. Babs uses an EMP to stop the implant and Riot Black is taken down. To make it all up to Alicia, Babs takes her to the top of GCPD and lets her turn on the back signal. Happy friendiversary. Next, Batgirl versus Penguin, of course. Okay, so I'm going to split this up, obviously, with the two stories. <sighs> I was disappointed with the Batgirl Supergirl team up and I feel like in the past you know the Bronze Age when they teamed up in Brian Q. Miller's I've loved them but this just was lacking the fun that I was expecting and looking forward to and it's sad also to think that this is the first time Batgirl and Supergirl have met (sighs) I don't know I guess what can you expect with two people meeting but you kind of don't want to be that type of person who meets you and upon meeting you ask you for a favor so, but, you know, then I'm thinking, I just feel like, you know, is there another way for these two potentially to meet? I'm very much bothered by the fact that this is not a self-contained story. It's an annual. It's oversized. This whole story with Supergirl, well, this whole issue should have been, it should have only been involving the Supergirl story. I don't need to go out of this book, nor do I want to, and buy it to see the continuation and the conclusion of this story. That's... 
That's a scam. You should not have done that. So I'm pretty upset about that. The whole mission also seems just really contrived. It's like a heist film with someone in the vault rather than money. And it's very much a Supergirl story. I wish it were something that had... I mean, the best ones of these, especially... I mean, it has the title World's Finest. The best ones of those are when there's like a joint... When there's a villain team up on the other side. And so these two are brought together. That would have been what I imagined. Sure, it's been done before... But it hasn't been done in Rebirth, and you could totally do an original Batgirl villain and something from Supergirl or, or bring somebody over, you know, an original over there. But instead, we, we have this. It also sounds really bad for someone to ask to break into a place because he or she may be connected with, well, because she, let's just go with that, may be connected with Bruce Wayne. Or is it because she's connected with Batman, who is connected with Wayne? Is that still in continuity? Because why does Supergirl automatically assume... I mean, she's asking Batgirl specifically because of the Wayne tech. And so I'm not... I wasn't thinking that Batman Inc. was still in continuity, but is Batman and Bruce Wayne... Maybe I'm forgetting some things. Maybe this happened in Snyder's Batman run. I don't know. I just feel like things have changed. So how is the name of Wayne automatically associated with Bat? That's a big question point for me. The voices of both Batgirl and Supergirl seem really off. And I will say this with a definitive tone for Batgirl because I haven't been reading Steve Orlando's Supergirl. But the Batgirl one is weird. I mean, she's acting like a complete noob. I mean, she's making mistakes and she's even trying herself like, you, you're better than this. That, it's, something's going on. And this is Hope Larson. So it's completely different than, I mean, it feels really different from even what Hope Larson is doing in the Batgirl book. What is going on? I mean, this may have been a team up, but it was it was a Supergirl story. It ended cl- anticlimactically. I mean, the girl that they spent all of this energy or expended all of this energy to save disappears, does something weird to Super Supergirl, and then there are three of these people just sitting out under the stars, and Batgirl is telling her different password hints. What? Why would you do that? <laughs> so I was really disappointed. This is not what I would have wanted from a Batgirl Supergirl team up. Let's go from there to the other story. Ironically, this seems more like Batgirl slash Barbara Gordon to me, and it's written by someone else. Oh, irony. And isn't it ironic? Now, it does portray Babs as a terrible person and a terrible friend, but I think it also gets to the tension of living two lives, and this is something that we've not seen as much in the current run of Batgirl, I feel. I like that this entire mission is done by Babs, not Batgirl, and it was also nice to see Frankie back in helping the mission, though again, one wonders why Babs doesn't ask her to finish the mission, which would give Babs time with Alicia, because Frankie does say, you want me to handle this, and Babs like, no! So we're going back to that uh, sort of non-trust there. Have you ever celebrated a friendiversary? 
do you think people would agree on the same day, like a romantic relationship? Because I feel like my idea of, I actually asked people this, which is really funny. <laughs> and there's uh, a woman at church that jokingly said, you know, she questions our friendship every week. But <laughs> I do actually, like sometimes I reflect and I said, when do you think we became friends? I, people People know this, like people who listen would will honestly know this. And so it's interesting to get their perspective on like, so if I ask Shag, when do you think we became friends? I think his idea perhaps of when we became friends might be different from mine. So that's why I wonder, do you think they both agree on the same day? Sort of like a uh, a romantic relationship. But I've never celebrated friend anniversaries. The return of Riot Black, uh, ever the gross villain. I thought that he was comatose the last time we saw him, but I guess he wasn't as screwed up as I thought. I even went back. I guess he was just taken offline. But that's a big question mark as well, sort of when when he came back online. I don't know. Uh, so then we get to Alicia, right? And uh, it's funny because I literally just recorded the Batman universe this afternoon and <laughs> Dustin says I don't know why I don't know why Felicia needed a big story like that I don't get it and I didn't say anything but you know <sighs> I'm fine with her getting it and and again I see this more as a Barbara Gordon issue but it's just the Barbara Gordon side it's not the Batgirl side and I, I also think it's great because we've been focusing on Alicia, I think more in this, but we've come back to her, right? Frankie was the focus in the Burnside run. So Alicia has come back. So if she's in the main book, why not look a little bit more uh, into Alicia here and then this relationship, right? And she, we know that she's been having some, some struggles there as well. And again, the tension, right, of living two lives. At the top of GCPD, you kind of wonder, and I was wondering, I thought, oh my gosh, is Babs going to reveal her secret? So that's the question I'm going to leave you if you want to comment. Do you think Alicia should know Barbara Gordon's secret? And if she ever did find out, I would hope that she's not the first person that Barbara Gordon tells. I really hope that Jim Gordon finds out before or, you know, Barbara tells her father before she would tell Alicia, because I think that's that would be a big slap in the face. But I sort of ask, like, what could, what are the pros and cons of this? Like, what could she add? Uh, remember that one time that um, Gil Simone wanted to make Alicia a vigilante of some sort? So I, I feel like she can't really add to anything. I mean, it'd be helpful that she knows that Babs isn't ditching her all the time. But I don't really know what she could add, like Frankie adds. But on the other side, and this is something that Martin Gray had said, it would keep her safe. Right. So she would not do this really foolish thing, which was follow Barbara Gordon somewhere. Uh, But that was because Barbara Gordon was lying to her. But that situation would not have even happened. Because what if I mean, Alicia could Alicia could have died right there. So, you know, there's the, the other side of that. So what do you think? Do you think that Alicia should know her identity? Uh, let me know. Let me know for the next one. And then also speaking of Martin Gray, we got into uh, sort of a Facebook conversation on the Back the Oracle, and it was in regards to the misgendering of Alicia in the previous issue. And he had thought that, or this, his belief is that her feminine form is like her final, that's this, her final stage, I guess. I mean, that's her completed form. I I don't even know how to refer to it. I'm so sorry. And I thought that she was like still in transition. 
So now I'm actually super confused. Was she actually a, a guy first and now she's a girl or is she in transition? So now I'm very confused about the whole thing about because, you know, the doctor, right, confused her. And so perhaps that was why she was misgendered. I don't know. I'm very confused about the whole thing now and what it means. Now, I understand what it means to be misgendered, but now I just don't know with what gender she identifies herself more strongly. Um, so, again, I'm I'm sending out, you know, a call to sort of explain. I think that would be amazing. Uh, I got no feedback over the misgendering. He did suggest talking to someone, you know, on, on the Twitter or, or emailing someone, and I just don't know how to even begin that conversation. <laughs> or, you know, can I ask you a couple questions? Which, you know, I did talk about, you know, being open, and, and I'm willing to ask questions, but I don't know how willing this person would be to answer them. So this is where I am. Is Alicia a female and she was confused for a male? But she was at a fertility. Wasn't she at a clinic? I'm. This is strange. Or is she actually, I don't know. So, you know, the best thing would be to ask Gil Simone because she was the one who created the character. So she'd be the one to tell us what she exactly meant by Alicia being transgender. So who knows? Uh, Hopefully, I know I was going to say only time will tell. Hopefully I'll get some answers. Uh, Please do write in if you have any thoughts on that particular aspect of uh, Batgirl. Okay, well, ratings for this. I'm going to give it 5 out of 10 capes for the first part, World's Finest. And I'm going to give it 8.5 out of 10 bats for the second part, which was Rain Check. So total, it's a 6.75 out of 10. uh, And perhaps really only 50% worth the annual. So there you go. Now over to Chris for his Batman 66 or 77 review. Ah, that's like finding a back issue that had a letter from the irredeemable shag printed inside. You know, an instant collector's item. Unlike one of the 23 back issues that I had a letter printed in that you might find in a quarter box. Thank you very much, Stella. Hello, Batfans. Welcome once again to the Batman 66 review segment. Thank you very much for downloading. And as always, thank you for not fast forwarding. I'm Chris, and I'm very glad to be with you. Before I get started in my last segment, I was trying to come up with people who appeared on both the 60s Batman TV series and the 70s Wonder Woman TV show. And I came up with three people, all who played villains on Batman, Frank Gorshin, Roddy McDowell, and Carolyn Jones. I had to think there had to be more people, and sure enough, while listening to the To the Batfuls podcast, which coincidentally covered the Penguin, Marsha Queen of Diamonds three-part episodes, another actor was mentioned who indeed appeared on both shows. He played Major Hastings in the Batman episode, Penguin Sets a Trend, and he had bit parts in two episodes of Wonder Woman, in the episodes The Pied Piper and A Date with Doomsday. Not only that, he was the voice of Archie Andrews on the radio in the 1940s. He also appeared in episodes of The Amazing Spider-Man in 1977 and The Incredible Hulk in 1980. And he was a voice actor on Batman the Animated Series as a frequent supporting character. To me, he was probably best known for playing a semi-recurring character on a top-rated sitcom in the 1970s. Who is he? I'll let you think about it and give the answer later on in the segment. Today, I'll review Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman 77, number 3. Issue number 3 was cover dated May 2017. The cover was provided by Michael and Laurel Allred, and the contents were originally released in download format. Once again, the print version of the comic doesn't appear to have any named characters. The writers are Mark Andrenko and Jeff Parker. 
The penciler was David Hahn, and Carl Kessel was the inker. The issue opens with the Batjet en route to Paradise Island, with one unusual occupant joining the dynamic duo, Catwoman, who the duo requested be released in their custody as our heroes need a female escort to get them there. The Batjet is soon met by Wonder Woman in her invisible plane, and she guides them to land. After pleasantries, introductions, brief tour, and a meal, Batman tells Wonder Woman that he believes there's about to be a sinister invasion. As if on cue, an Amazon sentry enters and tells Wonder Woman an attack has occurred on the Southern Cove. The trail leads our heroes and Catwoman to a nearby island that has a cave, with a labyrinth, and a Lazarus pit in its center. As they make their way inside the cave and into the labyrinth, Batman notices footprints, and a separate set of a creature following the first set. The walls suddenly move, separating Catwoman and Robin from Batman and Wonder Woman, and the latter are confronted by a monstrous griffin. Wonder Woman's rapport with animals of all sizes soothes and calms the beast. But elsewhere, Catwoman and Robin are met by a giant cyclops. Going over the walls, Batman and Wonder Woman arrive to assist them, with Batman riding the griffin and spraying the cyclops' eye, forcing him to flee. With Batman now using the griffin to carry himself and Catwoman, and Wonder Woman flying and carrying Robin, the group takes to the air to make their way to the center of the labyrinth. But... The island interlopers, Talia, Raisha Ghoul, and their minions are already there. And a decrepit and frail Raish enters the Lazarus Pit and exits rejuvenated to be continued. Okay, so some observations. The all-red cover maybe was my least favorite of the series so far. We just had split faces of Batman and Wonder Woman. While nicely rendered, no action or background. Not that I'm complaining, but why didn't Batman use Batgirl instead of Catwoman to escort the men on Paradise Island? I'm not exactly sure when this is set, but perhaps this was before Batgirl was introduced in this particular continuity. Who knows? I'm just speculating. Uh, There was a moment where Wonder Woman states she knew Batman and his historic deeds uh, as broadcasts were monitored on Paradise Island, but then we have Catwoman, who is mistaken for a heroine by Wonder Woman, which seemed a bit odd. Wouldn't she have known that Catwoman was an enemy of Batman? Catwoman laughs at the notion of being uh, considered a heroine, which was appropriate. Let's see what else. We see Wonder Woman is wearing a skirt throughout the story, which isn't unprecedented as fans of the Wonder Woman TV show know. It's a nice practical look. The artwork by Han was really, really good. He did a nice job with facial expressions and the characters' bodies. The backgrounds of Paradise Island and the Labyrinth were also really rendered nicely. He did a great job with the Griffin. And with the Griffin, this sort of got my imagination going in my head as what would this look like if uh, we filmed this and some Irwin Allen-esque uh, Griffin creature was used if we were going to uh, film a literal 66-77 uh, uh, crossover that was reflected of the times. We also had a nice poignant moment where Wonder Woman reflected on Steve Trevor. She apparently returned to Paradise Island after World War II. The pacing of the story moved along very well. There was great action. There was great dialogue. And we had a very nice cliffhanger in the middle. And we ended with an ominous conclusion. All in all, I enjoyed this issue very much, despite some very, very minor nitpicks. Over on the TBU website, Jerry Green gave this four out of five stars. I'm giving Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman 77, number three, nine out of ten bats. Okay, so who was the other actor that appeared on the 60s Batman TV show and the 77 Wonder Woman show? and voiced a supporting character on the Batman Animated Series. It's Bob Hastings, who is the voice of Commissioner Gordon. Hastings is one of seven actors who appeared on the 60s Batman TV series and provided voice work on the Batman the Animated Series, 
according to IMDb. Now, to me, he was best known as Tommy Kelsey, the bartender and owner of Kelsey's Bar on All in the Family. As I was going through other notable actors who appeared on the 70s Wonder Woman TV series, my list grew and grew and grew. So I'll just focus on those who appeared in the first season for this month's segment. And next month, I'll look at the guest stars from the second and third seasons. Okay, now get this. So in the pilot alone, we have Oscar winner Red Buttons, Stella Stevens, Young and the Restless Eric Braden, comedian, author, and match game panelist Fanny Flagg, Laugh-In's Henry Gibson, who played a Nazi here and would play a then-present Nazi in the Blues Brothers movie. Uh, Gibson's going to return again later in the season, uh, in the next season, excuse me. Uh, Let's see. We also had multi-Emmy winner and Oscar winner Cloris Leachman as Queen Hippolyta. Man, that's some lineup. Future episodes uh, in season one would have Linda Day George, who was on TV's Mission Impossible. Her husband, Christopher George, may be best known for the 60s TV's Rat Patrol. Forbidden Planets Anne Francis. Bobby Van. Dick Van Patten, who would later go on to do TV's Eight is Enough. Uh, we also had the Adams Family Carolyn Jones as another Queen Hippolyta. Uh, same character, different actress. John Saxon. Robert Loja. John Hillerman, who would later go on to be uh, Magnum P.I. The Brady Bunch's Robert Reed appeared in an episode. And in another episode, Western film and TV legend Roy Rogers appeared. We also had Robert Hayes, who'd go on to play Ted Stryker in Airplane. And of course, Deborah Winger, who played Diana's younger sister, Drusilla, and Wonder Girl, who I think was only 21 or so when her appearances originally aired. Uh, Speaking of age, I think Lyle Wagner was 40 years old when the pilot episode was shot, and Linda Carter was 24. Wagner was probably best known for his work on the Carol Burnett Variety Show prior to this. Uh, Linda Carter was a beauty pageant winner. She appeared in an episode of Starsky and Hutch, and she also did a movie called Bobby Joe and the Outlaw, which I won't get into here. When I watched these episodes when they originally aired, and mind you, I was a very young age, I can't say I noticed the age difference between Carter and Wagner. Steve Trevor looked older, but certainly not that much older to a little kid's eyes. To me, they were both adults. What I think made it work was the charm of both actors, and how well they acted, and the chemistry that they had together. If you haven't seen any of the first season of Wonder Woman, I would seek them out. If you have the MeTV channel, they currently rerun episodes on Saturday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern and 7 p.m. Central Time. And they are currently airing episodes of Season 1 at the time of this recording. In future segments, I'll also talk about personal favorite episodes, and I'll answer the question if I preferred the first season, World War II episodes, or the later then-present-day episodes. I feel I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the recent passing of a comic book legend. I had the good fortune to meet Bernie Wrightson once in the early 1990s. He was a masterful artist, and he is known for his work in horror comics, but he did some marvelous work on Batman. Wrightson was 68. Listeners, I am now on Twitter at BTO and BatBooks, where I've already connected with a handful of you. I'm still new there, and it's a bit of an experiment for me. I'm still learning Twitter etiquette, so please be kind. I've retweeted some great fanfic that I like, connected and gave shoutouts to some great podcasts and blogs out there, and I've shared some nostalgic nightstand reading I partake in before bed, and sometimes just some general musings. To those of you who have already found me and followed me, thank you. I sincerely appreciate that. And to those who want to check me out on Twitter, my handle is spelled B-T-O-A-N-D-B-A-T-B-O-O-K-S. B-T-O for Bad Girl to Oracle, 
and Bat Books, as in Bat Books for Beginners, the other podcast that I can't be found on. So yes, please check out Bat Books for Beginners. That's a podcast I co-host with Jerry Green, where we examine and review trade paperbacks and collected material of Batman and or related characters. Please feel free to leave any comments for myself on this segment or for the podcast on the TBU website, and please consider leaving us a good review over on iTunes. If you'd like to lend your support to the Batman Universe website that has great news and articles and their fine family of podcasts, you can make a donation on Patreon or a one-time donation by PayPal by following the links on the Batman Universe website homepage. Thank you very much for your kind support. If any of you wish to contact me directly, I can be reached by email at bruce.wayne at gothamcity.us. And again, thank you for your support. What perilous predicament will Talia and Rachel Ghoul put our heroes and Catwoman in? Can even the combined might of our heroes be enough to stop a rejuvenated Rachel Ghoul? What other wonderful heroine will make a surprise appearance? Don't fail to listen to the next podcast where the answer to these fascinating, far-fetched, fateful, fuzzy, forbidden frivolities to be foiled and furnished next time. Same Batstella feed, same Batstella site. Thanks, Chris. Of course, the final part of the episode is my literature recommendation. And I have a couple things here because uh, last time, I think, wasn't it when I forgot to do this or I just didn't have anything or it was two episodes ago, I guess. So first of all, I've been reading some of the uh, How to Train Your Dragon series and mainly because, well, there were 12 of them, and so I thought, wouldn't it be good to, to read this uh, before the third film comes out, obviously. And I, I love the series, uh, the the cinematic series, I guess I should say, and I watched the Netflix show, which used to be on Cartoon Network, all that stuff. So now, so I've decided to read the books, and the books are, actually, they're pretty different from what the film actually is but i mean there are you know similarities as well so the series as a whole is written by cressida cowell and the description of the first one is uh the how to train your dragon book one there chronicles the adventures and misadventures of hiccup horrendous haddock the third as he tries to pass the important initiation test of his viking clan the tribe of the hairy hooligans by catching and training a dragon so see they're already training it's not like in the film where they um are trying to kill people or kill dragons uh and then the, i've also read the second one which is how to be a pirate the description is follows the further adventures and misadventures of hiccup horrendous haddock the third as his viking training continues and his father leads a stranger and the hairy hooligans to the isle of scullions in search of a pirate's treasure and currently i am actually reading the third one which is how to speak dragonese so there i'm almost a quarter of the way through Something else that I read, there was a BOGO sale, as I mentioned, to Shag on Comixology. So I got House of M. This is the first. I know I'm behind on some of these things, so please do not judge. But House of M was written by Brian Michael Bendis. And it's uh, described as following. The Avengers and the X-Men are faced with a common foe that becomes their greatest threat, Wanda Maximoff. The Scarlet Witch is out of control and the fate of the entire world is in her hands. Of course, she alters reality. And of course, she also says those uh, three fateful words, no more mutants. 
And another one that I got was the Corvac Saga Trade, uh, which has multiple authors. You've got Roger Stern, Len Wayne, and Jim Shooter. The description for this is, Save the world, destroy the world, it's all the same to him. A flawed demigod decides it's his destiny to perfect their universe. It's too much power for one man, and it'll take over a dozen powerful men and women, Earth's mightiest heroes and the guardians of the galaxy, to stop him. Plus, the Avengers face additional endangerment from aliens, Atlanteans, and automatons. Guest starring Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel, Doctor Strange, and more. And it collects Avengers 167 and 168 and 170 to 177 and the Thor annual number six. So that was a lot of fun to read that. I sort of go on sometimes top 10 lists and see like what are, tra- you know, the top 10 or not, I guess they're not really top 10, but I just see like what are essential stories that you need to read. And so that was one of them that uh, I came up with or I found anyways. So there you go. There's my literature recommendation. Remember, you can send any questions or comments to BackRollTheOracle at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at BackRollTheOracle. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. And be sure to support TBU by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to My High Comics for sponsoring BackRollTheOracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And also thanks to Shag for being a delight as always and helping me cover Batman Wildcat. Until next time, enjoy your spring break. And fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. <sighs> I love a happy ending, don't you? Terribly sorry. He is not here this evening. No. He didn't even come around. He's off doing his own thing. That is he with another cat? No, I think he's on my bed right now. Oh. Terribly sorry. <laughs> you don't even care. Not even a little bit. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> it's always oh. been that way. You know that. <laughs> I love him. I he's my cat. But maybe. I don't, I don't yeah. want him around during recording. But... It makes it special. For you, maybe. Maybe you need a pet. So far, all the opening has not been interesting at all. You're going to have to find something else to use to open the show. The cat. The kitty kitty. That's only interesting to you, I think. But okay. The poop emoji. Yeah, thanks for that. Really love that. My daughter actually has a poop emoji (laughs) pillow. And so my bad. no wait, I'm sorry, I have that confused. My daughter has a, I'm sorry, she has a devil emoji. The dog actually oh. has a poop emoji, uh, squeaky toy. Pillow, oh, squeaky toy. Yeah. Well, I thought, what better way to like have your image there? Oh, I right there. Bam. I figured that. Yeah, I, I knew right away it was me, especially since you put my name underneath it and everything. So, <laughs> I, well, I had to. Otherwise, people would wonder why there's a random poop emoji there. By your logic, they would just know it's me anyway, right? Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know. There's a fan club for you. Oh, that's nice. A, a fan club of one. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Oh, oh boy. I ha- <laughs> That lady. We'll have to talk sometime. <laughs> the, one you, the one you insulted <laughs> on the internet? Oh, okay. Yes, absolutely, that one. That, um, that's a true story, folks. <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> You're pretending as if all this is going mm. on. It's a so safe assumption that it is somewhere. Well, maybe. Who knows? I don't like to edit things. No, you edit the heck out of these things, but you choose where you to put stuff, and you always pick the most embarrassing oh, things. That's true. I, I think oh, they said maybe. Team Don on the air, but then privately sent me a message saying we were just go- you know trying to give you crap. <laughs> Which, you'd be shocked at how many people send me those messages after being on your show. No, you're No, I'm not. (laughs) I get messages from your guests going, by the way, I said Team Don to be funny because I knew you could take the joke. I'm like, yeah. I said, please, don't be nice to me on the air. There's no benefit to that. I'm called irredeemable by God. There's a a reason for this attitude. Maybe you can have some joy with the Batman Wildcat. I do like the Batman Wildcat, so... You know what else would bring you some joy? What's that, Remington? Yeah. That's... uh, That is a terrible impersonation of a cat. (laughs) Have you ever actually been around a cat? Yes, I have. Yes? I've seen lots of pictures of you with dogs, but uh, and you trying to kidnap other people's dogs, but I don't think I've ever seen a picture of you with a cat. He was precious. I can't even hear you. I said he was precious. Who was precious? Remington? Oh, well, I wish. Do you think you could bring him to, um... He does climb in my suitcase, typically, while I'm packing. That could be a lot of fun. No, he's not coming with me. He would... Can you imagine a cat going through the exhibit hall? (laughs) You'd have to put... (laughs) You'd have to put a... Yeah, I'm sure... You know, and cats would love that, I'm sure. Maybe all the cosplay people would stop and say, Oh, what a cute cat. I'd just say it's Dexter and his secret identity. I need you to cover some extreme justice, Shag. Oh man, that yeah, what a story. So did you like this? We, did you like this Batman Wildcat thing, or did you hate it? Actually, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, very good. That is exactly the right answer. Well, we we had a disagreement at the previous time. Well, previous what did we do? Remind me. The final night. Oh, that's because you were mistaken. That's right. Yeah. I thought it was a little yawnish, and you really liked it. And then I thought Genesis was basically, practically the same thing as Final Night. No, it was not. And you, no, you did not say that. Oh, you did not like say that same. on your show. I heard huh? you. I listened to it. You were talking. You were. In fact, I want to say you said a couple complimentary things towards Final Night on that episode. Well, yeah, I said Final Night. I think succeeded where maybe Genesis failed, but practically they were the same thing. And by the way, off oh, the hello? air. <laughs> Off the oh, air. Oh, off the air, sure. Because, sure. well, this, this this messes up your little plan. I'm pretty sure when I told you to ask Bailey to do it, I'm pretty sure I told you it sucked and it would be funny to ask him. No, you did I not. I do not think I genuinely said. Alternative oh, I do, facts. I do not think I did. I, I wish I had done it maliciously. That would have been hysterical. You did? I don't think I get myself You did? You said, oh, you know who was I don't that? think I did that. Bailey. I don't think I did and I was like, "Oh, I guess I'll I'll go and." Uh, it, but it's there's pre there's proof. I'm gonna have to go and re-listen to my own episode, which I never should, do. But there's proof. Okay, that, I mean, is, if I said that, hats off to me because that's awesome. That you're a terrible. It's awesome that you're a terrible. Absolutely. Person. Okay, it comes in the name. It's irredeemable. <laughs> it's it's right out there. I, yeah. I put it on Front Street. If you don't have you haven't picked that up by now, <laughs> you're just not paying attention. Um, but so. if I really did that, that would be fantastic. But I really think I was more honest and upfront, but either way. And that's where you put in the, like, the ding, ding, ding noise. Oh, that'll be good. Yeah. You're, oh, you're such a creative person. <laughs> I do do podcasting for a living. Uh, for a living? You're making money off these things? No. Yeah, I don't think so. It's not a very good living. <laughs> yeah. 
Who'd you get for Joker's Last Laugh? <sighs> um, I don't know if I have anyone yet. Is is it? Are you in it? I would hope I am. I think at the very because I think there's a Birds of Prey. I remember there being a um, little image at the top. You know how they used to put little borders to show that they were in a storyline. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like it is. I just I'm not sure. You know who you should get for that? Who? Michael Bailey loves Joker's Last Laugh. Oh, does he really? Oh, yeah. Wait, you're jo- you're doing this again. <laughs> I'm doing the thing again. <laughs> Joker's Last Laugh you're is terrible. horrible. It is horrible. So you should definitely ask Michael Bailey. And you should tell How him. I, you should you should lie and just say Shag says you love it. <laughs> see if he's like. Well, you just did. It's not a lie. <laughs> see if he gets mad. Like, damn it, he did it again. Oh man. Batgirl. Is it Batman slash Batgirl? Batman and Batgirl. It's Batman. So, and I think. When we were reading Batman Wildcat, it had an ad for it because it had on one there was like a split page ad. It had on one side Batman Bane Vengeance, and then on the other side it had Batman Batgirl. Oh, here it is: Batman colon Batgirl. Yeah. Original graphic novel. Hmm. Well, there's the Girl Frenzy issue in 1998, not to be confused, also called Batman Batgirl. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. But, let's see. But that one was with her and Victor's ass, so I didn't think it was that one. Oh, I think I read this. <gasps> oh, I know what this is. Hold on. Is it Hold- not good? Uh, well, I don't know. It might be fine. <laughs> but I bet you there's also a Batman Mr. Freeze. I'm willing to bet there is one with the matching cover. Yeah, Batman Mr. Freeze. Okay, we're getting there. And then there should also be a bat, a Batman Poison Ivy. Oh my! You getting you figuring this out yet? <laughs> Come on! He's, all of his villains. You're a bright girl. Happening? No, Batgirl's a villain, really. Batgirl, or, well, you said Mister Freeze, and then you said Poison Ivy, and then yeah. there's Bane. So yeah, three out of the four that you mentioned are villains. Think about it. Oh, there's a Bane one also. Yeah. Okay, Batgirl, Poison uh-huh. Ivy. Uh-huh. Mr. Freeze and Bane. Yeah. What do they all have in common? Um, in 1997, what do they all have in common? Um, I do realize it's almost one in the morning. So I'm going to give you to cut you some slack there. Seven. What do they have? Uh, I want all. I want all this in the damn show now. Not, why? Because <laughs> <laughs> Nightfall. I don't know what they have in common besides Batman. In 1997, all four of those characters have one thing in common. They all appeared in Batman and Robin. Oh. Yeah. I'm disappointed with myself because that's my favorite. I'm aware that you enjoy but that. I don't know. For- if I didn't connect it with the 97. Don't blame me on these things. I want this in the show. Anyway, yes, Batgirl, Poison Ivy, <laughs> Mr. Freeze, and Bane all appeared in Batman oh. and Robin. It looks like they all have the same cover artist as well. Uh, so, yeah, this is a... Uh, just They're like all... I said to old Lady Freeze before I pulled her plug, this is a one show. <laughs> oh, my oh, gosh. Man. You're so bad. I uh, love that movie. I know you did. I think Brian Stelfries did all the covers, too. But, um, uh-huh. yeah, they, they used to do this. Whenever a Batman movie would come out, uh-huh. they would come out with one-shots to go inside. Like when Batman Returns came out, they came out with like a Penguin one-shot and a Catwoman one-shot. And then when Batman Forever came out, they came out with like a Riddler one-shot and a Two-Face one-shot. And this one, these three or four. So, yeah. As I told Lady Freeze when I pulled her plug, this is a one-woman show. I don't think so.